spins a web any size. Catch your seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. This is the one and only podcast that takes you through every Spider-Man book ever published, plus every guest appearance and cameo we can find from the beginning. My name is John Wilson, and this is episode 36 of the show. With me in the studio are Josh Bertoni, Banzai, and Don Grant. Hola, senoras and senoritas. And today we are going to be talking about two Spider-Man books, issue 48 of his own title, and a guest shot in Daredevil 27. Plus, like, another teeny tiny cameo, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Before we get into the books, I want to remind you that Amazing Spider-Man Classics is brought to you by Roll2Play at www.roll2play.com, your online source for games and gaming accessories. Now, in addition to all the fine games you can get for yourself and your family, they also have a program going right now called Games for Grunts. If you want to send some games over to our men overseas... When placing an order, you can add the special code GAMES4GRUNTS at the payment screen. Your purchase is discounted 20%, you don't pay any shipping charges, and your game purchase is added to others and taken to a local drop-off to be sent to our troops overseas. So go to Roll2Play, buy some games for our troops overseas. That's GAMES4GRUNTS, all one word, spelled with the number 4, just as Roll2Play is all one word, spelled with the number 2. The last couple of episodes we did were special episodes about the Spider-Man reboot, and I hope you enjoyed them. When this episode is being recorded, we still haven't hit August 31st, but by the time it's released, the new DCU will be well into its first month, so I hope you're surviving, and God, I hope the books are good. I really do. (laughs) I'll be reading, John will be reading, Josh will be ignoring. (laughs) I'll I'll be checking in on it, but uh, my investment won't be there. (laughs) <laughs> People from the future, is it pandemonium or is it the new I, – I guess I it, it wouldn't be the golden age because – What would we call this? I don't want to call it the digital age because that sounds like so stupid. Um, I don't even refer to like modern DC as any sort of like me, uh, metal anymore. I think of golden age, silver age, bronze age, post-crisis, new earth, and new 52. It's the, rub- about, uh, the rubber age. I was, about, I was about to say the new the new age, but if it's new fifty two, yeah, that's called. I'm gonna probably call it the new age, but somebody on the internet will probably give. Yeah, it but name. but like okay, but what are people gonna call it thirty years from now? They're not gonna say, oh, remember the new age. <laughs> that's what we still then. call the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the rubber age because rubber age. you know always wear rubber. Ah. That was back. That was back in like I don't know when rubbers were made. I guess. Well, I don't know. Okay, let's name an element. Come on, guys, we got important work to do. It's the glass uh, age, the, Emer- the emerald age, or the diamond age, or the insert Pokemon game here age. <laughs> it's the Marvel age of comics, but it's DCU, <laughs> so I don't know what that means. You open up the books and they're all Marvel books. <laughs> yeah, DC. You know, they made a gutsy move. They announced that the month um that for the month of October all their books are gonna be getting the number two. <laughs> <laughs> Rags Morales got Jack Kirby to substitute for him on five pages. Oh, Cause, you know, it's, cause it's I, I I I I I know what you mean. 
Before we get to the books, we do have some emails we would like to read. The first I'm going to read is from The Gnome. He says, hello, gang. The Parma Gnome checking in some overdue thoughts on a great episode. Uh, this email is from April 24th, Parma Gnome. So even though your thoughts might have been overdue for issues 33 and 34, we are overdue in reading your email. So apologies, apologies. He says, does anyone have any idea when issue 33 was being called the best Spidey story ever? I remember my uncle telling me how great that issue was back in 1968. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know that I have any information beyond that. <laughs> when it was being called? Um, the letters are – I don't remember, I remember the letters being pretty positive, but I don't know. Was that, was that an 80s and 90s thing? With, with stories like that, it's always in retrospect to whether they get high praise or not. Not, not always at, at the time. Right. I mean, it, it's – it's gone down as being super iconic, but I imagine that it, that's partly because everyone loved it at the time. Right. He goes on to say, very puzzling to me is why Doc Ock undertook the guise of the master planner. Could he possibly have thought that that was a name that would be taken on a more serious level? Well, his name was Dr. Octopus. <laughs> In comparison, yes. I was actually thinking about that today, how, how really offbeat and silly that name is for anybody to assume for themselves whether for heroic or evil purposes dr octopus i mean really of course you're completely at the mercy of dr octopus <laughs> 90s show how we love you. um see i like how that's like it's really hard to like do that in a modern day like thing and i like how in spider-man 2 like, you have Jonah, like, you know, well, Jonah doesn't come up with the name. Hoffman comes up with the name, like, who always, like, enters from, like, stage left or right, you know, like, out of nowhere. But, uh, like, hot, like and Jonah, like, takes the credit and he says, a guy named Otto Octavius, you know, attaches limbs to himself. What are the odds? And then he says, Doc Ock. I remember Jonah saying that because he puts his hands in the air. Doc Ock. Uh, it's possible that the master planner was not going to be Doc Ock at first. Stan might have thought that one masked villain that no one knew the civilian identity of was too much. The Harry Urkel comparison was great. Did the goblin do that? <laughs> Made me laugh out loud. I don't think Harry was going to be the college equivalent of Flash. More like the wisecracking Reggie Mantle. I don't know Reggie Mantle. Uh, Reggie from Archie. Okay. Um, it, Reggie's a character in Archie. He's kind of like he's kind of like the way that Flash and Peter's relationship becomes in the Ramita days. Like Reggie and Archie are friends, but Reggie's a jerk, and the characters always like talk about boy, isn't Reggie a jerk? Reggie's very like selfish and greedy, and uh, he's also the rival to Veronica's affections. I think. Yeah, he, he's Archie's rival for Veronica's affections, but he'll also date Betty sometimes. Like, cause everyone, cause everyone dates everyone in Archie, you know, like Reggie will, t like, like, Why we do we know this? <laughs> oh, I, 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 dude, I've, I've read a share of Archie, you know, like, I'm not so ashamed. I, but I'm like, I'm like, wait, 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 we're talking about Archie now. <laughs> it's just funny. Well, like, he said Reggie Mantle. I mean, and, and again, you can't talk about the Ramita era on a podcast without mentioning Archie in at least like a few episodes. Yeah, cause yeah, they're, they're very, very comparable. Hilariously so. <laughs> He says, on the subject of Roy Thomas, I don't think Marvel needed saving when he took over for Stan. 
I don't think Marvel had anyone other than Roy who could write in a Stan style and was perfect to step into Stan's role for the 70s. Scott Gardner mentions that Roy saved Marvel with Star Wars, but I believe it was Roy who took Conan to Stan, thus ushering in the House of Ideas era for Marvel. Um, those are two very different years. I could, I would believe that both are entirely possible because Conan was 1970, right? 1970, 1971, and then Marvel uh, Star Wars was 1977. It could be that that both eras, the the uh, company gained some serious cash from those two series starting. I've seen it be, been said by a few people that work at Marvel in different interviews that like uh, Star Wars absolutely saved Marvel, like that it. Yeah, when when Scott said that, it was not news to me. I've definitely heard that, but I think that Conan probably helped as well. Which, um... Just uh, in a different era. Oh, yeah, yeah. The thing that frustrates me about the whole, like, Star Wars saving Marvel thing, because it it was, like... I think I remember even reading one book that it was, like, the best-selling Marvel comic since the Golden Age. In all these Marvel, like, history books that I read about, like, Marvel's history and, like, you know, different stuff and, like, different year-by-year things. Like, I have that 70 Years of Marvel Comics thing that came out a few years ago. Like, they they do not mention Marvel's Star Wars series. And while it's not set in the Marvel Universe, I think that it was, like, you know, I think it's important. I do have the Marvel sales figures of each year, like, the uh, each year what the average was for that year uh, of their monthly sales. And in 1977, they had a peak that was higher than any year um, since 1971. So I think that our theory that I just pulled out of my butt a second ago actually has some merit. 1971 has a peak that then uh, with with Conan coming out, it then slumps down and then peaks again in 1977 with Marvel Star Wars. But then it it, it slumps right down again and continues to slide until 1980 to 81. Looks like the lowest period, and then it starts crawling back up in the 80s. So Parmenome, um, I think it's both. I think it is Conan and Star Wars. But anyways, he finishes by saying the Richard Peeney letter in 34 might be the co-creator of the ElfQuest comic in the 80s. Take care, Bill the Amazing Parmenome. I don't know ElfQuest beyond the covers that I always saw at the bookstore every time I looked for comics in the, uh, in, in the early 90s. So, yeah, that could very well be him. I just don't know. Let's hope so. <laughs> and then... From Marriage to Mephisto. Hi guys, just heard the From Marriage to Mephisto episode of... From Crisis to Crisis. Good times, good fun. Have to wonder how you'll top it next year. Um, I I should mention that this is an email that he uh, sent to both Amazing Spider-Man Classics and From Crisis to Crisis. So if you want to know how Mike and Jeffrey will top it next year, um, ask Mike and Jeffrey, which is what he did. The show proves that a Marriage to Mephisto podcast would be perfectly viable in concept. Of course, from 1994 to 1996, it would basically become a Clone Saga podcast, and we already have Clone Saga Chronicles, but whatever. And I say there's lots of podcasts that cover – and this is me talking now, commentary. There's lots of podcasts that cover the same ground. Like, it's inevitably going to happen. Like, if you're podcasting about something, chances are somebody's reviewing those same things or is going to. Just, you know, make it unique and make it the style of your show. And it could be a good supplemental thing. Anyway, and then but back to his email. Maybe ASM Classics will make it up to 1987, uh, naturally. Whoops. We can't We can't even leave the 60s. Are you kidding me? <laughs> We're barely in 1967. <laughs> yeah. Gosh darn it, that's 20 years from 
And uh, he goes on to ask Michael Bailey a question, which I'll include here for the purpose of chronology. I felt that you can make life easier on yourself by spending less time adding in sound clips and other edits, but they were totally worth it here. The two Spider-Man theme songs brought a smile, and I really got a kick out of the Spider-Fan scene Sandra's and sound bites. Um, okay, well, that, 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 that's a really good thing that you told me, but um, I'm too busy right now starting three simultaneous podcasts to uh, reply to it. I'll see you in 20... 20- <laughs> I'll see you in 2012. Hi, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta go. Alright. Rest of the email. What was the funniest thing to me was how I keep figuring you would all make a bunch of jokes and shoehorn in one more day revision references or something, but no. Most of this was a reasonably straightforward discussion of the comics at hand, and back issue fan that I am, I was right there with you. Happy April Fools, Scott Madman Madsen. Scott, I, I... I don't know if you're listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics on a regular basis. If you are, please write in again. I would just love to know if you're out there. We we de- we <laughs> we had our own April Fool's plans that kind of fell through, and we may revive them for next year. I haven't decided yet um, because if you announce what's going to happen ahead of time, then it's not really April Fool's joke. So all of you out there, next time it's like March 15th or March 30th or whatever, don't ask what we're doing for April Fool's. Either we'll do something fun or we won't, but we're not going to tell you what it is beforehand. Um, but anyways, uh, we did. Uh, we were happily invited onto the April Fool's episode for From Crisis to Crisis, and that was a lot of fun. If you'd never checked that episode out, I strongly encourage you to do so. Um, Didn't the, we do those in the same night, too? Yeah, we did. One after, one after another. We did our yeah we did our recording in the afternoon and it died and we were sad and we had a couple hours of break and then we went and did the um, the from crisis to crisis episode. I thought it was like literally literally like like once we were done. And we were oh, sad. it was it was there were yeah they were there just no, finishing there's no there's no waiting period. Right, we had we had time to get like drinks and and pee and stuff and then they were ready for the next one. This uh, next email titled "Sorry took so long" from <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. We know the feeling. From Enigma2099. Just recently started listening to this, and I'm hooked. Worth it for the Betty Brant Bertoni rants alone. The rest is like a sweet bonus. I particularly like the guest spots by Familiar Faces, and how you slick bastards, term of endearment, trust me, find new and subtle ways to insult them before the start of each show. Brilliant! Enigma2099. We do. Yeah, we love insulting people. And, you know, they're all masochists because they keep coming back. Is that a thing we do? Actually, <laughs> whenever Brad came on, I pulled the uh, t- caught on the, the head of the Green Lantern crawl space, and um, I think I ribbed Mike Bailey a little bit. If he's listening to early episodes, then yeah, there was definitely some ribbing of the early guests. I know Jr. ripped a lot of <laughs> guests. Oh, Jr. like summed up the show in like <laughs> in, in, in five minutes. The next email is from John, aka the Marvel Man entitled another great show hello webheads yes another terrific episode you're as funny and entertaining and informative as ever here are a few questions for you one because you're covering every issue ever included spidey's appearances and other titles even as a cameo and because you seem to love the untold tales run why didn't you choose to insert those issues with the amazing run as you covered it i'll speak for the other guys we're going by publication yeah um the idea is to take the stories as they came I feel like Josh's mention of the story. I know, I know, he kind of got self-conscious for bringing it up after a while, but but really, I felt like bringing 
the elements from those stories into our conversations was as much as I wanted to do at that point. I definitely am glad that we had that in the show because it helped flesh out those early stories. But we're going by publication primarily. And honestly, if you try and do it chronologically, like it would never work. Because then, like we're at episode ten or something, and all of a sudden, like Marvel decides to do a story about you know what happened, you know, in between Amazing Spider-Man one and two, like you know when Peter like went to high school. Like I'm just like doing a hypothetical. It's an actual story, but like where Peter was like you know late for high school and Liz Allen found his webs in a locker or something. You know, then it's like okay, you know, now we have to go back and do that. And then like like even just as recently as a year or two ago, they had a story about like an early Spider-Man Captain America team up in an annual so it's they're always going to go back and add new stuff and if we try and fit all the new stuff that they keep on adding in there it just won't work and it'll disrupt the flow of the show but we've talked about you know doing chapter one and untold tale specials and i guess we should get around to those before like too much time gets away from that era a lot of stories are you know people really like to retcon stories or retcon eras and so you have a lot of Gwen Stacy stories that just get you know inserted in there, and Spider-Man's origin has been revisited many, many times. We would have, I think, the episode about his origin in Amazing Spider-Man 15 went really well. It would have been an entirely different kind of monster if we had tried to incorporate all the different revisits of his origin story in the first episodes. We would have had to have. Uh, from power, you know, with great power responsibility from 2008 in there. We would have had to have all the different annuals and backup stories. It is, it's a very different thing when you try to take future issues and insert them chronologically. So I just, that's not how I like to read comics. And so that's not how I chose to do the show. Although if someone out there were to do something similar with other characters, that, that doesn't mean I wouldn't want to listen. It's just not how I choose to create the show. It's certainly an idea and I can, I can I I perfectly understand where he's coming from, like like just cover it from the character's personal history. But if we approach it for that, I don't think the show would still be around just because of the amount of stories that would run into each other would be way too much. It would definitely be a monster that I don't think we could be able to keep a handle on. If you want that sort of reading experience, go to chronologyproject.com and look up your favorite character because they do try to take all the different stories and put them together in a chronology. And uh, speaking of... Uh, <laughs> you stole my segue. Sorry. <laughs> Number two. In terms of chronology, I'm curious, I'm curious about your source, although not critical at all, given that I love your show. My point is, my main Marvel Masterworks presents Annual 3 a, b- a bit later than you chose to cover it within your show. Why the discrepancy? The basic order of issues that I have, I used internal information because um, in the bullpen bulletins he'll say, you know, in the 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 annuals for such and such are out this you know this month, so go check them out. And then the other ones are coming out next month. As far as the actual release dates, I'm getting those from DCIndexes.com/slash/Marvel, which is Mike's Amazing World of Marvel Comics. He has um, approximations. Uh, as best he can of when the issues actually would have been coming out uh, based on a lot of data that I don't have. So I go by him for the actual release dates. The Essentials also have the annuals, like not the later Essentials, but the earlier ones. They have those like a, near the near the end of the uh, the book. So I think that like the, the trades in the collection sort of get them out of the way of the main story and are less stringent with the actual release dates. So I, w- I, w- I wouldn't really rely on uh, collections to 
go by release dates. And I think they're really bad about that with the annual number four. Uh, Don can correct me when we get there shortly, but I remember looking at some essential lists, and annual number four is only a few issues before annual number five in the collection. Which it, one was it, number four again? Number four is whenever he teams up with the torch against the wizard and Mysterio. Oh, yeah, that sucked. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> for the classic five uh, annuals, that one was probably the worst. For also for cr- chronological notes um, about you know what happened when and when people's next appearances were and how the stories that came out close together fit into each other chronolo- chronology wise, I really enjoy using the official index to the Marvel Universe Amazing Spider-Man edition that was published. First in, in multiple issue form, and then as one single um, paperback book in 2010. So that, that's that's definitely a good place to go. And if you want to see that book, it's in our uh, Captain America, like you know, as a little pixel with probably that has glare on it. Uh, the Captain America video review that we or no, it wasn't in the Captain. It was. I don't in think it was. Other. I think it was one of the uh, ones we did. Yeah. As a v- after we came home from the from the panels. We did some YouTube videos during San Diego that can be found on SpidermanCrawlspace.com. Um, if, if you search in their categories thing, look under San Diego or under the videos category, and you should be able to find them. And uh, I, I pop up the book because I was using Chronology Project for a while, and according to John, apparently like the Chronology Project uh, website matches the stuff in the book. But when I was doing the – which I – which I'm done with by the time this episode's out, the Betty and Flash articles, hopefully I'm done um, – I, I'd use that because there was like lots of points where the chronology would go crazy, but it was very useful for appearance lists, and it was very useful to figure out like what order some of the '90s books go in when they all took place consecutively and all came out, you know, four times a month. Right. Yeah. The uh, the chronology project they had they had been doing their own ordering, but once those official indexes started hitting in 2008, they started adjusting their site to match what the books were saying. Right. Can you get any better? I know the answer to this one. You can't. Thanks very much, guys. Well, we're going to try John, a.k.a. the Marvel Man, who says take care. <laughs> Thank you, John. Yeah, appreciate the email, John. And those are good questions. Uh, always happy to talk about you know how we make the show. This is from our uh, friend and uh, one-time and future guest. Uh, I guess that doesn't make sense, one-time and future. but Once and future. Uh, yeah, once and future guest, uh, Stephen Lacey. And uh, I I don't want to insult him by doing a British accent, but because he's a foreigner, um, let's see, let's do um, Australian accent. That story about Marvel checking the episode before it got posted, possibly because <laughs> of MJ, was that absolute bollocks? What's going on with my baby? <laughs> <laughs> I should have seen that coming. <laughs> Every Australian person is clear from Lost. <laughs> As we have confessed since you wrote that email, Stephen, yes, the whole thing about Marvel vetting our episode and was true out... <laughs> was completely and utterly true. Marvel is not holding a gun to my head and making me say that. <laughs> also, have you checked out Fear itself? It is so much more awesome than the new DC Fifty Two books. Make Don't forget to read my... Spider Man uh, Spider Island hashtag. <laughs> And our last email for this particular episode is from Owen Choles. It's called Daredevil Rules. I don't know what kind of rules we had to follow regarding Daredevil, but there you go. 
The rules are, if you're going to create a fictitious twin brother, no. The rules are, don't create a fictitious twin brother. It'll come back to bite you in the ass. <laughs> Somehow. I don't know how, but it will. In what ways could it not? <laughs> That's the quote of the episode. <laughs> Name one way that creating a fictitious twin brother could not possibly like have any negative repercussions whatsoever. And I know that we already covered this, but like, like that's like such like a six-year-old thing to do. Like, you know, at school, like Timmy, I saw you, you know, spill, you know, glue all over the desk. No, 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 that was my twin brother. That wasn't me. Like, <laughs> Matt, are you daredevil? No, it's my twin brother. I was your roommate. You never said you had a twin brother. You're right. I never did. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's good enough explanation that I need. <laughs> but okay, go ahead. Daredevil email, twin brothers. He says, hi guys, I'm a listener from the UK, one of many I'm sure. I found your show after searching for Daredevil podcasts and listened to your episodes dealing with Spider-Man's appearances in DD 16 and 17. Initially, I only listened to the Daredevil segment, but on the second show, I let the podcast run long and found myself enjoying the show so much, I went back to episode one and have enjoyed them all. That is really, really awesome. I know, I, I love that. As of this writing in May 15th, he's currently on episode 7, despite the fact that I do not own, nor have I ever read, the early Spider-Man issues. I will probably buy an essential trade and go back and listen to the episodes again with a reference next time. Yeah, I always like to read along whenever I'm doing uh, a show like this, or listening to a show like this. I know! <laughs> Me? <laughs> read along with a podcast? Try to do things in order? <laughs> Perish the thought. Reading along with, like, simultaneous podcast, while, like, you're like the cat in the hat on that one page of the book where, like, he's on top of the ball and he's got, like, the goldfish on top of the umbrella and, like, the cake on his <laughs> yeah. He says, uh, I have a question for you. Actually, Owen, it looks like you have several questions for us. Apologies if it's a stupid one, or if you have already explained this in the upcoming episodes, but how do you have access to the letters pages? Do you own the original comics? What format are you all reading Spider-Man's adventures in? Yeah, I'm using scans taken from the official Marvel license release of The Amazing Spider-Man. For other letters pages, I have to get copies of comics from other means. But for Amazing Spider-Man, I do I do have them from the Marvel's DVD. Yeah, which they they legally put out, and uh, it's an awesome thing because it has the letters pages and the ads. Right. And I, I really don't like it when I buy a Marvel comic, like reprint or something, and they change original things about the issue, like you know, like change the mistakes. Like it's very very George Lucas, whom we hate. Yeah, it, it, like in the Spider Slayer episode, you know, and in, in the Spider Slayer uh, issue twenty five thing where they had Greedo shoot first, like you know, <laughs> that that was that was a stupid addition. Greedo wasn't even in the original issue. Greedo wasn't even created. Why? Yeah, that's I'm reading. I have the entire. Uh, actually, I, I picked up the latest ASM Essential Volume Ten. And I have the entire collection. So, uh, reading the letters pages, John just uh, sends me scans of those online. But uh, I read the I read the comics and review recap the comics by the essentials, which is why I'm making a lot of black, black and white jokes. Yeah, not because you're a racist. Yeah, I'm a racist, all right. <laughs> 
He also goes on to say, I've been underwhelmed by the Daredevil podcast I've listened to and would love to do a Daredevil show similar to yours. Alas, I lack the animated compatriots you enjoy and think a solo podcast with just me as the host might become quickly dull. It might be interesting since DD Volume 3 is about to begin to do a show discussing all three volumes simultaneously, starting with issue one from each volume. Um, the same day that you wrote this email, Owen, another podcast was started up by our guests from last – not last episode when we did the reboots, but two episodes back when we did the um, the Deadpool-related issue. Tyler Crone is doing From Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast. Uh, that's on um, iTunes and at fromyellowtored.lipson.com. You know, give it a try. See if it's your cup of tea. If you are looking for people on your side of the pond to do podcasting with, Stephen Lacey, you, got, you two should talk. Because uh, you're both expressing similar interests. Maybe not in characters, but in podcasting. Anyway, thanks for all the entertainment. I love the affectionate but mocking tone you guys have. It's easy to be cynical, but I think you have a great positive dynamic going with an obvious love for the material. I particularly enjoy the guy. Apologies for not knowing who's who. Yeah, because we all look alike. That does every character's lines in a really high voice for no apparent reason other than the fact that it's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I wonder who we could be talking about. I wonder. I love, I, love, I love the guy who does the voice, the character's lines in a really high voice for no reason. <laughs> for no reason and other than that, it's hilarious. Betty Brand, thanks you for that. <laughs> and he says, Excelsior and all that ONC. Thank you for the email, and I hope you are continuing to enjoy the show. And um, if you've reached episode 36, then we've come full circle and everything's happy. And Harry Osborne thanks you too. It's <laughs> little Flash Thompson and Peter Parker. Who's little just like- little Flash Thompson goal. Don't forget to wear mittens when you type your email. There's germs all over the keyboard. <laughs> and I'm Ned Leeds, and I'm also in this email. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget Robin. <laughs> I know what you're referencing, which which is what makes it funny. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Josh is Josh is like the uh, Mel Mel Blank of the ASM Classics voice acting. That, that's, that's what Jr. said. I remember that one time. I actually don't have that many voices. Like. Uh, <sighs> When it was time to do, like, when I do a female voice, there's, like, only so many ways to do it. Like, so, when I got to Gwen and MJ, I was like, okay, well, like, now that everyone, like, knows the Betty voice, because, like, because, like, people talk about the Betty voice on Crawl Space, and, like, the it's, like, now that the ears are on it, I can't make them, I can't make the other girls sound like Betty, so. Well, I think, I think ever since, like, the, the, the Betty uh, thing, came, like, became a thing on the on the classics, I think that you... I think it's distinctive from the other ones. It's 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 noticeably higher than Gwen and Mary Jane. (laughs) Because Betty cries. Well, just wait till Captain Stacy shows up. Gwen is gonna. Oi. Thank you to all of you who have been writing emails. We are slowly catching up. If any of you would like to send in a message, it is at AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. Also want to share some of the reviews we've gotten from iTunes users. The first one is from Lord Alford called Just Like Old Times, five stars. When I listen to John and the guys, I feel as if I'm back hanging out with my friends from high school and college talking about the latest comics, which was quite a while ago. 
<laughs> These guys give a good review while joking all the way through it. It is my favorite podcast by far. When you listen to these guys, you'll not only get a summary of the comic, but also interesting behind-the-scenes information, the ads of the time, and the more interesting letters from the letters pages. If nothing else, you need to listen to the show to hear Josh's Peter Parker voice. Thanks, guys, for making feel a part of the group. That was very, very kind of you to say, Lord Alford. <laughs> Lord Alford, or I assume he's a knight or something. Is it bad if it's my favorite podcast by far as well? Yes. Uh, I, sure, why not? It's, it's horrible. <laughs> I really like to go back and listen to this show. It's 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 fun. I laugh. Uh, title with great comics comes great podcast. Five out of five stars by Fancy Dan's Little Pants, <laughs> which is an awesome title. Which is an awesome name. Entertaining reviews of every Spider-Man appearance starting at the beginning. These gentlemen provide us with great and funny insights to every issue. If you love Silver Age comics, you'll love this podcast. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, Twar1234 um, on April 20th, 2011 gives us 5 out of 5 stars saying hilarious and fun. Great stuff. The t- runtime flies by. And thank you to all three of you who left those reviews and to everyone else who's been leaving iTunes reviews. They have been um, almost entirely 5 stars and very, very positive and it's very encouraging to us to keep on trucking with this show. Thank you. I agree. Thank you so much. We're going to go to a break and play a promo for a podcast coming from the United Kingdom that has been going for several several months now and is rather amazing, actually. So listen to this, check out their show, and we'll be back. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium? Watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then we sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Ages Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com Welcome back to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. We're going to go kind of backwards this episode, starting with a tiny cameo, then doing a guest appearance, and closing with the main Spidey book. So let's go to Strange Tales 156, because that book came out first on February 2nd, 1967, with the cover date of May. The Strange Tales series was at this time double-headlining Doctor Strange and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. When they started doing this, they would divide the cover into two portions, and each character would get a smallish cover image. But by this point in the series, they have moved to alternating covers. So each cover is more effective, I guess, was the main idea there. This particular issue has a big Doctor Strange cover introducing Zom, but we don't care about the Doctor Strange story. The Nick Fury story is called The Tribunal. And it's a chapter in the seemingly unending saga of Nick Fury's and S.H.I.E.L.D.'s first series of skirmishes with HYDRA that will ultimately end in the seeming destruction of that organization. 
This is one of those strips that Stanley is just editing, not directly helping to create. Instead, Jim Steranko is doing writing and art chores, and this issue is lettered by Sam Rosen. In the story, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Bronson proves, after having worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. for several issues, that he is actually a double agent for HYDRA when, <gasps> when he blows up Nick Fury's quarters and then steals a ship called the Dinosaur. Get it? It soars dynamically. Oh, my God. So it's the Dyna hyphen. Are you sure Stanley didn't write this? <laughs> so There was something in the water at the bullpen offices. <laughs> Flo, Flo Steinberg, you know, she, uh, she was a pusher. <laughs> Stan, it's time for your afternoon medication. Right, right. <laughs> So Bronson steals the ship, not knowing that Nick Fury is, of course, still alive and has secretly stowed away on board. He gets to Hydra Island and he broadcasts a message to the world that he is going to be releasing a germ bomb into the world's atmosphere. And as he describes the death spores effects, we see five panels of reactions from all the various Marvel heroes. And one of those panels has Spider-Man, Daredevil and Thor. They don't speak. And then it's gone, but damn it, it's a Spider-Man appearance, so there you go. Oh, yes. Um, I'm not even sure exactly. I, I, I think he's actually smiling with glee. You can tell with through the mask. It's, it's, um... <laughs> Are the prospect of dying? <laughs> this is smiling. This is frowning. I'm smiling. It's, it's funny you mention that, because the other cameo this month, like, you know. know, has mentions of Spider-Man smiling and not smiling through masks. Oh, that is funny. You're right. I forgot about that when I was saying that joke. Okay. Next up is Daredevil 27, which was released on the same day as the Amazing Spider-Man issue, but comes first chronologically. So I decree. Actually, I thought it did, and then the index confirmed it for me. That uh, day, And the issue confirms it for you, too. Oh, that's right, because there's a footnote in the Amazing issue. That's why I thought it was first. Okay. Right. That day that it was released was February 14th, 1967. So happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Those of you who were alive then, I hope you got your Valentine's card in class or got that kiss you were wanting. I or... choo-choo-choose you. I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph Wiggum, you'll always get a Valentine from me. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you got spectacularly laid, whichever applies to your age in 1967. I don't know. Our cover date here was April because Daredevil was one of several books that ran a month behind the majority of Marvel's comics and cover dates. And on the cover which comes from Gene Colan and Frank Chicoya, we have a bit garishly yellow backdrop with a determined Daredevil up front and center pulling out his billy club like he's about to whack you one. Top left corner says guest starring the one, the only, the inimitable Spider-Man and Spidey's swinging in on, this, on his webs. Bottom left, featuring the honest-to-gosh end of the masked marauder. Thank God. And Mr. Purple Hanky Face himself is aiming at us with a gun. On the right side, who's afraid of Stiltman? And Stiltman is springing up on his stilts, towering above Foggy and Karen, who cower below. Foggy, what can we do? Well, we can always resort to sheer panic. Better than, don't worry, Karen, he'd never be able to harm. Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how many issues ago was that, like, plot? I guess it was, like... A couple issues after after that, the last Daredevil issue we covered where that yeah, was Yeah, we did all. 16 and 17, which is when they started the Mike Murdoch thing and started and had the Foggy Might Be Daredevil thing. Uh, so it's been 10 months. It really didn't take very long for Karen to forget that Foggy was saying that, though. <laughs> um, well, no, because it was disproven because 
Uh, right, they, but, but but then she should have like normally should have been like totally pissed off at him for lying, and sort of maybe that way forever. Oh but. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, I forgot. But because by the time they got the letter from Spider Man, she knew that Foggy wasn't Daredevil. Because then she's like, okay, now he's saying that Matt's Daredevil. No, it's my well. We'll, we'll we'll get into all that. But yeah, the Mike Murdoch thing didn't start till later. Anyways, so um, how about our Titanic title? Mike Murdoch must die. <laughs> the credits are Stan Lee and Frankie Jacoya on story and art with art simic lettering, and we have Daredevil on the prowl for the Stilt Man after their run in last issue. This isn't Stilt Man's first appearance. That was Daredevil eight, but last issue was his first story since then. While out looking, Daredevil just happens to run across Spider-Man, busting up some common thugs. Daredevil steps in and thwumps a couple for Spidey, but Spidey doesn't seem too keen on the assistance, so Daredevil just quickly asks him if he's seen Stiltman. Asks him to keep a lookout whenever Spider-Man says no, and then completely thrashes Spider-Man five ways from Sunday for exposing his identity to Foggy and Karen and forcing him to adopt the third persona of Mike Murdock. <laughs> Look what you did to me! What's happened to my life? <laughs> now, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt your flow, but I think you neglected to mention that this is illustrated by Gene Colan and not, not on uh, Frank Jacoya. I think, but I, I could be mistaken. Did I say Frank Jacoya in the? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's Stanley and, and and then and Frank Jacoya with Artie Simek lettering. No, the, right. that 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 is the elephant in the room. The whole like they don't talk about the letter. Yes, they don't talk about the letter at all. And that would be the perfectly normal thing to do in this story since this – in Spider-Man's books, this whole subplot is never mentioned. In Daredevil's books, this is a big deal, and this is the first time that we've seen Spider-Man since that happened in issue 24-25, which was just two or three months ago. So you'd think that would be a big point between them, but it's never mentioned. And I guess we'll talk about it when we get up to that, but like the way that Spider-Man forgets – quote-unquote like forgets that – Matt Murdock is Daredevil because like he he relearns the information in the Gene DeWolf story in the eighties doesn't even make sense. This is just like well, I guess we'll talk about it later. Never mind. Well, I, well, we'll talk about it in the episode. I mean, I guess I guess we can mention it now. We've always done spoilers for sixty stories. Yeah, this 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 book is this this show is not spoiler free. In case you haven't figured it out. Well, I was yeah. say like like does he just like plain forget or does somebody like convince him that he's not Matt Murdock? Well, no, like Matt Murdock. <laughs> For like the millionth time in Daredevil, the millionth time in Daredevil, because this happens every other month. Such like, a goofy book. <laughs> yeah, no, I read a hundred issues of Daredevil this weekend on on uh, orders by the police, and that's actually a true story. Uh, <laughs> so you want to know the context behind that? Ask us on the Amazing Spider-Man Classics Facebook page and all. But uh, <laughs> a, a villain had figured out that Matt Murdock was Daredevil, so the only <laughs> solution. For Matt Murdock to do was to fake his death so that everyone right. in the world, Foggy and everyone, thinks that he's dead. Spider-Man reads that Matt Murdock is dead in the oh, newspaper yeah. and says, oh, I guess Matt Murdock wasn't Daredevil after all. Except when Matt Murdock shows up alive and, well, a few issues later, Spider-Man didn't think, oh, well, he wasn't dead. Maybe he is Daredevil. But he's like, no, he faked his death for a little while, so I guess that must mean that he's not Daredevil. That answers all my questions. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is one, and we'll talk about the Spidey appearances in Daredevil when, when all that's happening when we get there. But yeah, it's one of those things. And actually, whenever I read that Spidey cameo, and the way I remember it is that he sees Daredevil swinging around, and he he says to himself on panel, um, "I thought Daredevil was a blind lawyer named Matt Murdock." 
because I guess he had learned before that panel that Matt Murdock was dead. So when I read that panel, which is a couple of years in the future from here, that's the first time I ever found out that Spidey had figured out Daredevil's identity. I hadn't read Daredevil 24 and 25, so I had to hunt that down and figure out when that happened. Um, so yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a really significant plot in Daredevil's life caused by Spider-Man that never enters the Spider-Man books. It's after issue 50, I remember, because... Yeah, yeah I want to say it's in, in the 60s somewhere, but I'll, I'll find it later. He's going to fake Mike Murdoch's death in issue 41. So, um, going back to the actual comic, and not my notes, because I did go and pull up the credits, this was Stan the Man Lee and Gentleman Gene Colan, with uh, in- indescribable inking by fearless Frankie Jacoya. For some reason, I just um, eliminated a name whenever I was writing down the credits. So Daredevil doesn't really beat up Spider-Man. Um, Daredevil just mentions Stilt Man and heads on his merry way. And it, says, if you see him, save him for me. If you see a villain who's trying to murder people, you know, robbing things, don't stop him. Save him for me. He's not going <laughs> to kill your uncle or anything. Well, this is the same thing that happened with the Rhino, right? Spidey, Spidey deserves his first crack at him. And the yes. whole thing about um, Daredevil not helping <laughs> Spider-Man take down these thugs, that also seems kind of odd to me. It's like, I'm helping you out in a fight. You know, you don't need to personally pound every single one of them. Yeah, I, I don't like how Spider-Man's written in this situation. Well, it's not that I don't like how he's written, but I think Stan, for some reason, decided to play up the really the really sensitive, like jerky, antisocial side of Spider-Man in this issue, and he just comes off mean and annoying. I'm just imagining Spider-Man, like like Peter Parker at the gravesite of like Aunt May and Mary Jane, Harry Osborn and Gwen Stacy, like all murdered by Stiltman. Then like Matt Murdock's behind him, he's like, "I was saving him for you, Matt Murdock, you, you, and now." <laughs> everyone's dead what were you doing that was so important i was arguing with foggy about who karen loved the mostest <laughs> and then she runs off with peter <laughs> <laughs> she would <laughs> at, at an airport no less so <laughs> if, if this were all the spidey that we got in this issue i would be kind of peeved that he got cover billing as a guest star which like you know in the avengers number 11 when he was like guest starring spider-man and it wasn't really spider-man the entire time but he does come back later in the issue so don't worry um mass marauder he had helped Stiltman get away last issue and now he wants Stiltman to return the favor by helping him capture matt murdoch foggy nelson and karen page because the marauder is convinced that one of them knows who daredevil is <laughs> tommy lee jones toothpaste logic <laughs> Stiltman doesn't want to help. Marauder shows him his disintegrating force field, and Stiltman shows him his awesome stilt action, and they are mutually impressed with each other, so they agree to work together. Seriously, when I think of Stiltman's power, I think of like a 1980s action figure where you push the button and their arms do something. Push the button and his stilts pop out. And then, and then you squeeze them back in, and you push, it, push the button later and his stilts pop out. Yeah, and I never got the... I never got the cool factor from this guy. He always seemed like a really, like... Just an off-the-wall idea. Marauder is really impressed by him, though, which is which is kind of weird. Amazing. <laughs> so Stiltman goes to the Nelson Murdoch Law Office, and he gasses our three, you know, companions before loading them into Marauder's helicopter waiting above. Then they fly around and wait for Daredevil to show up to capture them. Needless to say, this doesn't happen, and they end up flying around for hours. Awake by this time, Matt speaks up and says, "Hey." If you want to know who Daredevil is, I'll tell you. He's my twin brother, Mike. So, of course, as our title tells us, Mike Murdock must die. <gasps> Karen now hates Matt with a passion for betraying his own brother. 
Oh, don't worry. The, 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 with Karen, that only lasts a few pages. No <laughs> 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 and Stiltman bails on the helicopter to go find Mike Murdoch. But who does he happen across instead? Well, if you guess the Teen Titans, then you go back to start and lose $200. If you guess <laughs> Spider-Man, though, go to the head of the class. Um, and by the way, those of you losing $200, you can just shoot me an email and I'll tell you where to send the check. Uh, so Stiltman immediately shoots up to super tall mode to dodge one of Spidey's kicks. But Spidey somehow swings vertically up to spunk the guy in the face. Uh, and he says, I trust you've noticed that at no time do the fingers leave the hand. I don't follow. <laughs> Back at the helicopter, Marauder realizes he no longer needs his captives because he knows who Daredevil is now. So he turns the force field on that's surrounding the helicopter and prepares to throw them each out to be disintegrated. Matt starts pleading for his life and then throws himself against the Marauder when he's off balance, which knocks the Marauder back into the disintegrator controls. You know they're the disintegrator controls because they say disintegrator next to the big button. With the, with the force field off, Matt prepares to jump out. Marauder fires at him but only succeeds in cutting his ropes. Hanging from the helicopter rails, Matt Murdock takes off his suit, drops all of his clothes and wallet and keys. Well, he doesn't have keys because he doesn't drive. Everything that, you know, is his, he drops them off to the ground, pulls his cowl overhead, and swings back into the helicopter as Daredevil. As the clothes land on the ground and, like, some woman's like, it's the rapture. No, I've been left behind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just, my brain just went there for a second. Um... They fight for a while, and Daredevil calls the Marauder by name, which pretty much brings the plot thread of who is the mass Marauder to a close. And the Marauder removes <laughs> he removes his helmet. No, he he doesn't remove his helmet. He demands that Karen remove his helmet because there's no need for it anymore. Oh yeah, Karen, remove my helmet and make. And me- she does it. Like <laughs> he's like, like, bitch. Why am I gonna listen to you? She's like, then there's no longer any need for concealment. Remove my helmet, girl. Remove it, I said. <laughs> and Karen's thinking, I wonder if he's going to propose after I remove his helmet. <laughs> it's great stuff. So um, reactivating the disintegrator field, the Marauder goes after Daredevil again, but ends up falling out of the helicopter into the field himself, and we see him die in a big flash of movie magic. Back to our webhead, Stiltman throws a stun gas pellet at him and gets away, which is kind of disappointing, but that's how Spider-Man rolls in the Daredevil books. He always gets taken out kind of easily. Uh, an unnamed reporter, who might be Ben Urich, uh, asks Spidey for a statement, but Spidey blows him off with his usual disdain for the press, and that's his exit from the book and, for all intents and purposes, the end of the story. So what do we think of this one? As a Daredevil story, I actually liked it. As a Spider-Man appearance, I didn't like how Spider-Man was being portrayed, but I actually really liked the fight scene at the end on the helicopter. <laughs> it's goofy, but I do like the scene where Matt is like uh, hanging off the, the bottom of the helicopter and changing into Daredevil. I found that pretty cool. But again, as, as, a, as a Spider-Man appearance, I think you can find better ones. Yeah. Tom Brevoort uh, wrote a feature, and it was either a late 80s or early 90s Spider-Man annual, and it was like top 10 or top 20 most embarrassing Spider-Man moments. And it's Spider-Man narrating. He's like, boy, who could forget the time when I was unmasked by Dr. Octopus or, you know, when I did my laundry wearing the mask. And uh, the fight with Stiltman was number 
Let one. me see. No, it was number four here. Um, you, you listeners can't see this because this isn't an enhanced AAC podcast, but the people in the chat window can see it because I just uh, put the image in there. It was oh, spectacular. Wow. It appeared right before my eyes. Spectacular Spider-Man Annual 12. That's what I put on. Oh, the... I have read this. Yeah. Everyone loses a fight once in a while, but uh, still, man. And oh, I remember exactly this page. Yeah. What can I say? I was young and cocky, just beginning my career. Never happen again, right? And then the pun is, like, the number three moment is, wrong, it did happen again in Amazing Spider-Man issue 237. <laughs> Which, yeah, is the, I think it's the next time these two characters meet. Yeah. The Mass Marauder comes back, like, years later, and he actually fights Spider-Man and Daredevil in, uh, in the first Karian story. Like he blind he shoots Spider Man in the eyes and like makes him blind. So like oh, Daredevil has, to, yeah Daredevil has to like teach Spider Man how to be blind. But like there's a Daredevil website that I went to where they note how come when the Mass Marauder came back he didn't say oh yeah Mike Murdock is Daredevil and I'm gonna kill him. But that's actually easily explainable because Mike Murdock was like publicly killed off and then everyone said well Daredevil like publicly said I'm the second Daredevil Mike Murdock was the first one. He actually went on the news and said that. So, like, in the Marvel Universe, if you went onto Daredevil's Wikipedia page, they would say that, like... like <laughs> His it, twin brother was Daredevil first. Yeah, it would say that, like, Mike Murdock was, like... Did, like, that. that's public knowledge. Like, he said that on a Los Angeles TV station. He said that in an issue of Rolling Stone magazine. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So, so that's why the Matt like. <sighs> when the Mass Marauder comes back, is it the same guy? Yeah, uh, I, I don't. Yes, from from what I understand, it was. I, I don't like have the stories in front of me, but from what I understand and from what like was written by these people on the fan sites, it was the same guy. And we've we've talked both on and off the air about how Matt Murdock's secret identity as Daredevil being public knowledge is is like a thrice uh, happening thing or whatever. Whenever. Whenever it happens, do people make the connection that he was Daredevil just like his, his uh, quote-unquote brother was? I've never seen, like, Mike Murdock mentioned since the 70s in any of the Daredevil that I've mentioned. Like, in that Bendis story where the FBI agent was like, it gets it gets stranger, Electra, his girlfriend, like, died in his arms on his doorstep after a fight with Bullseye, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Like, I'm waiting for the FBI man to say, oh, by the way, and in this issue of Rolling Stone, they say that Mike Murdock is his twin brother, and <laughs> that guy doesn't even exist. It kills um, me that no one finds out that this, this man, like... How do you not know that a guy doesn't exist? Like, there has to be records about his 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 life, even in the sixties and seventies. I'll read to you my Facebook status from uh, earlier this afternoon when I read this issue in preparation for uh, recording. Yeah, okay, I put. Is it safe for work? Yeah, no, I put Mike Murdoch just sold out his fictional twin brother to people attempting to murder him. <laughs> and I love how and I and I called Don and I talked about this. Like, okay, like. He's not a douche, really, because, like, okay, like, it's a fake person, but as far as, like, Foggy and Karen know, and, like, what makes it even more ridiculous is, like, they don't torture him, they don't say, tell me who Daredevil is, or I will rape Karen Page in front of you, and, like, or, like... <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing at that. <laughs> tell us who Karen Page is, or I will slowly gut Foggy Nelson. It's okay, Matt, don't reveal who Daredevil... Like, Matt just, like, they don't, they're not even, like, threatening them with torture, they're just flying around the helicopter, Matt's like, oh, I know who Daredevil is, pick me, pick me! 
Like, he sells his brother out, like, the first chance he gets. Which is, like, his, his, and it, it's his fictitious twin brother. Like, the whole thing, it's so ridiculous. And, like, uh, to me, it seems, okay, Matt is going to spend some time as Mike. I mean, he does that now. That, 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 that's weird, but he does. Telling Karen and Foggy that Mike Murdoch is really Daredevil is one thing. Telling supervillains that Mike Murdoch is really Daredevil is completely different because he is living part of his life as Mike Murdoch. They can come after Mike Murdoch and capture Matt thinking that they have Daredevil. Or capture Karen and Foggy because they're friends of Mike. Yeah, so it's he's not yeah. helping anybody. I mean Book records. Exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't down the path? Check, like, you know, like, research. Let's research this Mike Murdoch guy. Of course, those sorts of things were a lot more involved in the 60s before computers. I suppose so. But the the whole Mass Marauder storyline, we did see that a few episodes back in Daredevil 16 with my brother Jim. So it was kind of cool to be here again at the end of it, uh, with Spider-Man showing up again at the end of the story. But the Mass Marauder's secret identity plot, to me, it was like one of the least dramatic reveals in comics because it had been very unsubtly hinted at in earlier issues. And the guy who's the Mass Marauder who is, is not an interesting character in the plot. So it doesn't even really matter. It's not as much as the butler did it, but it, it's it's almost that bad. It's like it's like someone you don't even care about. Is Karen says Karen says Mister Farm like like. Is he like the milkman or something? Like, like why not the full name? I think he's their landlord. I think he's the landlord for the law office. It's been a while since I read the back issues of this. Yeah. Mr. Furley. (laughs) Mr. Dickovich. He he doesn't do anything except occasionally menace them for their money. Because I think they're running behind on their rent payments for the office. That's a crappy ass reveal, man. Yeah, it really is. It really is really bad. And like in one issue, there's a panel that has a really big close-up on the fact that Farnham has, or whatever his name has a ring. And then later in the same issue, there's a big close-up on the fact that the Mass Marauder has the same ring. So we've known who this guy is for issue, you know, so if you were reading the book, you've known it for several issues. Those features, that hair. It, you, you're the father of one of my classmates. He has a sniff snively like like mustache too. Like he just looks like a, a twerp. But I don't really have much else to say about this. I mean it was it was a fun little guest shot for Spidey. He's written kind of jackassish in a few places, and he gets taken down by a gas pellet. Which he is kind of like a tool in a lot of issues. Like, I, remember, I remember the Fantastic Four backup story in, in one of the earlier Spider Man issues where like he's a tool to Johnny. I don't think he was a mean in, in Avengers 11, but in X-Men, he refused to be a, a member of the X-Men. He's, he's always anti-social and standoffish in these, in these guest star shots. Yeah, which is just weird because it's the same guy writing them. But, I mean, we've talked about that before, how, like, you know, you, you see things from Peter Parker's point of view. You understand why he's a bit standoffish at times. You see things without his point of view, and it's just other people interacting with Spidey, and he's a jerk. The, the, in his own title, in that issue where it's like, Johnny Storm's having a party at his girlfriend's house? Well, <laughs> this will teach him to have a party at his girlfriend's house. I will give you that. In Amazing Spider-Man 8, in that backup story, Spider-Man is asshole of the month. They're not, uh, they don't reference the love triangle this issue, which uh, they used to do all the time. So The uh, foggy like, Karen uh, Matt love triangle? 
Yeah, which is now like a square because like Mike's in there because Mike starts to date Karen when he shows up. Where is that one point where like Karen's berating him? She says, "Oh, Matt, Matt, how could you? How could you have betrayed your own brother? I never expected it of you, never." And he says, and he thinks to himself, "Well, Matthew boy, if you ever had a chance with Karen, forget it. You just blew the whole bit." Which made me think that Stanley writes every character the same. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like Peter Parker's voice. It's definitely Peter Parker and Gwen, or Peter Parker and Betty, or or Tony Stark and Pepper and Happy, because there was a situation yeah. where like. He, he he deliberately wants like Happy and Pepper to get laid, so he's like, I better break Pepper's heart because she can never be with me because my heart has like sharp roll in it or something. So he says, Um, I got engaged. He doesn't say who he got engaged to and nobody questions it, so nice. he's like, Well that finishes things with me and Pepper. I this 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 may be a tangent, but like, I, I I that makes me think that I wonder if Stanley ever got out of that romantic co- romance comics like uh mode he was in because he wrote romance comics for for like the marvel guys for a while with jack kirby and dan and carlo and those guys he wrote them for years so i'm wondering if he ever got that out out of his system or not probably not obviously not so our main book for this episode is amazing spider-man 48 which was also released on february 14th 1967 though with a cover date of may like the strange tells issue and donovan grant is going to tell us about this book the vulture's back and spidey's got him or does he have does he have him? Wait, no. That's switch that around, possibly. Okay. The Amazing Spider-Man in the Wings of the Vulture, an awesome ag- aggregation of airborne thrills by Smiling Stan Lee and Jazzy Johnny Romita, learnedly lettered by Whammy Sammy Rosen. If you didn't read, oh, okay. First of all, this and the next issue, I would have to say, are two of the most alliterative, expositional uh, uh, explosions of dialogue I've ever seen from a comic book. Which is what makes it so much fun. Do you need so, to break out the reboot issues again? <laughs> <laughs> no. I learned, I learned my violent lesson last time we did that. But um, I, I will try to not repeat or reread the entire issue on, on the air. But I will say point out the ones that convey the most sensibilities of the issue. And this splash page has Spider-Man giving not one, not two... But seven whole word balloons of dialogue. Just he, he basically talks to the reader as he's looking dead at the reader through the fourth wall. He is saying slash telling, now that my Peter Parker duds are safely stashed away, it's web swigging time again. If Craven the Hunter is still in the city, I've got to keep searching till I find him. Can't let that tin horn Tarzan go through life thinking he's beaten me. Even a starry-eyed Spider-Man has his pride. But if this cold spell doesn't break up soon, I'm liable to be the only web crawler in town wearing a muffler and mittens. And basically he's like expositing the whole situation from the last issue and the, and the next issue and this current issue. As it is like a snowstorm right now in, in New York. But I can't quit now. I've got a feeling that the deadliest fight of my life will be coming up soon, he says to himself as he's looking at us. So Spider-Man is swinging around, leaping around, looking for trouble and, the, and Craven the Hunter, but... As he swings over the nearby municipal prison, he decides to go home and try to warm up while he can. Meanwhile, we've cut to a scene where, like, a dying man is being looked at by doctors and the warden. And as he is dying, they say that he deserves his last request that he is uh, begging for them. He requests that a man named Blackie is, it should come up to see him. And they were revealed that it is none other than Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. the Vulture. So, hooray, he's dying. My prayers have been answered. <laughs> we still don't have a name for Adrian Toomes, though. And we don't know why he's dying. It says like a workshop uh, thing. Like, did it, was he like Johnny Cash's brother or something? Like he got table sawed or? Yeah, it says 
um, beneath the grim gray walls of the penitentiary, an inmate lies near death because of an unexpected mishap that occurred in the prison workshop. I mean, he could be like sans legs now and bleeding out on the bed there. Under the blanket, you don't even want to see. He's like, (laughs) he's got like bones. Ah! Oh, oh, never mind. I, I am. I, my, my own one somewhere else. Vulture venom. Vulture venom. All right. Well, send for him. In the meantime, don't talk. Try to save your strength. The doctor stated to him that we don't know his name yet. But uh, he thinks to himself, "I'll save it all right. I won't cash in until I make sure that Blackie will finish the job I started." So we see this ugly guy who kind of, to me, looks like Kuwabara from Yu Yu Hakusho come come toward Tombs and. Beg for him to tell him that the secret of where his stash is a vulture gear. After Toombs gives up the scoop, Blackie starts screaming to himself, saying, It worked! I got what I want! At last! And he reveals that it was his fault that the Adrian Toombs is now dying, but we don't, exa- we don't know exactly why. <laughs> that was no fool! That was no accident, you fool! I arranged it to get you to talk, but no one will ever know, except in you and me! And soon it'll just be me, Blackie Drago, the new vulture. And he screams this without anybody hearing him for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> the nurse in the next, like, you know, like, I guess, like, Curtin is like, oh, that Blackie. He's, he's like, gripping, he's, he's clenching his fists, screaming to himself with, with, um, with glee. And, like, nobody's, no, he just completely gets away with it. It's, it's not even a closed room. It's like an open wing. People, like, like, 12 feet away, they can hear enough that there's a ruckus, but they can't hear what's actually being said, which doesn't seem very believable. With, with like with the police, you know, and guards nearby, like you think Blackie's gonna like try and do something? Nah. <laughs> so the vulture calls him a douche, and um, as as he as he lays down, possibly dying, he thinks of images of him beating up Spider-Man, and he says, "I know I could have defeated him if I just hadn't been dying, but now it's up to Blackie Jargo. He's even deadlier than I was, and have the vulture's wings. So Spider-Man is doomed at last." A short time later, Blackie Drago, for some reason, is like he he says that he's been given uh, trust to be like outside the the gates to walk around. He says it took me. No, years to get I don't trust. think it's outside the gates. I think it's like to like basically be able to like walk in the yard by the gates. Well, yeah, they do say inside the gates, but it's like he basically like walks around, and I, su- I suppose that's possible. It just seems kind of like convenient for the plot to me. It uh, is. Oh, yes, it is. So as, as a car is driving in, in, inside the prison, Drago sneaks up on the driver and karate chops him, saying that, um, if I can get away with this, I'll be unstoppable. There's no one living who can stop a man with wings. Now remember that quote, because he's, he doesn't stop saying it. So the, the guard, uh, recognizing his voice, calls for uh, reinforcements, but Drago is speeding off. He speeds off to the nearby location where the vulture wings are, and even though the cops give chase and start firing at him, he eventually gets down the, the vulture's flying ability. And he uh, gets away. We cut to the next scene the next day where Harry Osborne and Peter Parker are driving towards ESU. And Peter has a horrible headache. He has obviously been out of the cold too, the cold too much swinging around in Spider-Man. So it, we see scenes where it occurs more and more as he's in class and talking to Gwen. In fact, Gwen herself looks really ravishing because she has her classic hairstyle now. Just in this issue, sans the hairband. Yeah, but, they, and her face is different too. They've softened up her eyes. They they have made Gwen a, a nicer pretty. It's like Clark Kent, you know. If you change her hair, the shape of her whole face changes. <laughs> I was actually going to try, try to look back for uh, comparison, but there's no time. Hi, Gwen. Say you look you're looking great wearing your hair that way. 
Why, thank you, Pete. It's just a casual little style, which took all morning to arrange. But <laughs> I kind of want Josh to read this line, because his, his hairy voice has been killing me lately. Okay, yes, yeah. Well. Yeah, oh boy, just my luck. Gwen's in a mellow mood, and I feel like an accident looking for a place to happen. Say, no wonder Pete likes her hairdo, Gwen. It's more like the way Mary Jane's been wearing hers. <laughs> oh, that's right. I hadn't thought of that. Harry, Harry, why must you have such a big flapping mouth? And my thoughts exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and like before that, like whenever they're riding in the car, it seems like Harry just won't stop talking. You coming down with something? I feel that, you know, I feel, I don't know, oh. there's a lot of back and forth between Harry and Peter, and Peter's basically saying, I feel terrible. And Harry's like, you really, really feel terrible? I feel terrible. Oh, wow, I bet you really, really feel terrible. Yeah, I feel terrible. He, he never knows, what, it's like last issue, he never knows when to shut up. Yeah, yeah, like when he's like, oh, maybe getting a little bit like when they're getting ready for the party. And then like even in the Ditko issue where like Osborne and Jameson are having a meeting and then Harry's like, something's got to be done about these break-ins. And then like we said that like Jameson and Osborne were like probably being like condescending to Harry like, oh, your boy, he's really sharp. Yeah, he'll get far. <laughs> Good <laughs> advice. He, he, he says, uh, I'm probably coming on the cold, Harry. Wow, you look like a whole virus town is having a convention right in your noggin. He's like, yes. Boy, I bet you could infect a whole city just by exhaling a few times. Yes. Golly, <laughs> I've never seen somebody so sick ever, Peter. Ooh, tell me about the germs some more. <laughs> I have a friend. I'm having a conversation. Social interaction. And that's when Peter pummels Harry with his cold, hard hands. Ever since Flash went to Vietnam, I've had no one to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to outside the car or outside the classroom. We're like, you just see Harry going through the window. <laughs> so, I, do, I do like his Fisher hat he's wearing in the car. It's pretty awesome. So, um, Professor Warren tells Peter to Yay, go home. Yeah, Professor Warren. Completely emasculates Peter in front of Gwen, which I do not think is an accident. Oh. Well, he always hated him, according to the latest issue of uh, Deadly Foes of Spider-Man One-Shot. I, 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 I don't buy that, but, like, because Professor Warren, you know, wants to, like, be Alpha Dog, and Stan, when Stan wrote this, Professor Warren was not in love with Gwen, but because it's been retconned that he was always in love with Gwen, you could say, like, you know, that Professor Warren could tell that Gwen was attracted to Peter, so he decides, like, uh, let me take this boy down a peg. So he basically goes over, you know? <laughs> I suppose you could say, I never, I never thought of it that way. It happens a lot, like, over the course of the Lee run, and it's done, like, you know, for tension, like, uh-oh, Peter's teacher's mad at him, but, like, there's a few different cases where, like, Professor Warren, like, verbally will cut down Peter, like, in, when Gwen is within earshot. GTFO, Parker. <laughs> so Peter goes home and, and watches television with J. Jonah Jameson basically berating Spider-Man, as he always does, and will do next issue. But we cut to learn that um, not only is Craven still on the loose, but Blackie Drago is making the scene as the new Vulture. Peter really wants to go after him, but he's he's his headache is getting worse and worse and worse. A short time later, again, we cut to Drago making a helmet for himself that makes him look more and more like an actual Vulture. So t <laughs> I'm not going to say science, but like he just it's, it's almost like he's the shocker. He knows exactly what to do to make it make, put like a. A shortwave receiver in there for some reason. And in the cartoon, that shortwave receiver helps him talk to vultures through Dalek lights on his head. Oh, um, yeah, that, that's an improvement over the source material. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember him being in the 67 cartoon. 
Very much. He, he's in two episodes at least. Two episodes that I remember seeing. Uh, he has the Dalek lights in both of them, but they only turn on and off in the second one whenever he's able to command vultures to go and do things. Is he running on saying Well, um, the funny thing about that one is that like he, I saw I saw the clip where like Spider-Man tricks all the villains to like like go after each other and like he just gets shot down by the electro. But um. Jocko loves this. He he's flying around. He keeps on saying that nothing, nobody can stop a man with wings. Uh, I remember when I was reading this to Lily, and she's like, "Okay, we get it." No, like, like he. I don't. This is why I don't like the vulture. Like, he has the most basic, boring ability ever. He can just fly, but all of a sudden, they think they can take over the universe with this. Like, I I I never got that logic. It's like still, man. What's the point? And like he says. Blackie Jocko is going to make the old Vulture look like a two-bit piker. Whatever that means. Do y'all so, think that the first two panels of page 10 look like they were taken out of Amazing Spider-Man 2? The uh, first, um... The first Vulture story? I really feel oh. like those first two panels are an homage to the very first time we see the Vulture attack. It's the same sort of thing. There's a shadow over a guy with a briefcase, and he swoops in and stags the briefcase. I think that if you're going to have the Vulture rob a guy, though, like, there's only so many ways that you can have a Vulture rob a guy... I think it's more coincidence than it is. Uh, well, they, 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 they did make an addition to this one. I mean, they had Alfred start calling the police about him in, in the third panel on that page. So, yeah, speaking of Alfred, like the vulture purchased, purchased on top of like a, the, the edge of a building saying, even Spider-Man hasn't dared to show himself. He knows I'm his master, which I don't follow that logic at all. Um, oh, if I haven't said that, the vultures begun robbing people and stealing attaché cases and parole bags and the like. So Spider-Man is not avoiding him, knowing that he's his master, and, and is actually suiting up right this second. But his headache is going more and more and more throbbing and dangerous towards his, towards his overall health. And he starts to reach for the phone. I hate to do this, but maybe if I call Matt Murdock, he'll put Daredevil on his trail. It's the least he can do after me fighting Stiltman for him, which... It's the least he can do after I completely disrupted his life and caused him to make up a fake twin brother, which is going to have rep- repercussions for years to come. <laughs> Why wouldn't he help me? But then and, the, and knowing him, he'd probably call the law offices of Nelson and Murdoch. Karen would answer, and he'd be like, "Oh, hi. Um, I want to speak to Matt. Tell him to." And like, he'll like wink into the phone, dress up as Daredevil, and fight this guy for me. And then like, hang up the phone. Well, that takes care of that. And then Matt comes back, and it's like, and it's like, you just killed off Mike. Mur- Even though Mike Murdoch hasn't been killed off yet, I thought that Mike Murdoch was dead. Now Spider Man's saying that you're Daredevil again. It's time that I told you the truth. I'm actually, I'm actually a triplet. <laughs> now, see, it, it would be a cool opportunity here to throw in the fact that Peter knows that Matt is Daredevil, but the way he phrases it, it really sounds like he doesn't. I hate to do this, but maybe if I call Matt Murdock, he'll put Daredevil on his trail. Yeah, exactly. If you've never read the Daredevil issue where he finds out, it, this go, that goes over your head completely. Right. But if he had said something like, you know, since Matt is, you know, Daredevil, I should give him a call, you know, star Spider-Man deter- you know, determine Matt's identity and such and such issue, you know, and just put the little box down there. It, it, it could have easily been done. It's just phrased weirdly. And I wonder if um, Stan forgot. <laughs> maybe, maybe, well, I, I don't know if Stan forgot, honestly, because they, were, they came out in the same day, didn't they? Or the same or the same month? And again, it's – um. Like, why would why else would Spider-Man call Matt Murdock to, like, put Daredevil on his trail? Like, why else would Stan have that if he didn't know? I think it's phrased funny, but, like, it's the interpretation to take. And Stan wouldn't put it there if he didn't know. Unless Stan really did forget. Which is highly possible. 
But then uh, he slams down the phone saying, no, I can't chicken out at a time like this. I fought the vulture before. I know his style. Even if this is a new Joker wearing those crummy wings, it's still Spider-Man's job. Whatever else I may be, I'm no quitter. Cut to next issue. So he, uh, <laughs> Oh, no, two issues from now. <laughs> oh, yeah, two issues from now. I'm sorry. So he uh, yanks his mask on and leaps into action. The vulture uh, – okay, actually, let me read this. And as our soliloquizing stalwart makes the rooftop scene – and uh, so the vulture is preying on this man who is handcuffed to an attache case with a bunch of uh, valuable bonds inside. He takes the man with him and, and drops him on top of a high sky tower on top of the George Washington Bridge. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not again. Foreshad- Not like Gwen. I was just about to say foreshadowing for, for like the next page. Whenever I'm on this bridge, I feel like somebody stepped onto my soul. So, so Jago is, is threatening the guy. When we cut to Spider-Man seeing all the police cars heading towards the Hudson River. So he knows where to go, even though his, his headache is interfering. His headache in both – I didn't mention this before, but apparently – we'll talk about this later – that both his headache and the snow are interfering with his spider sense. So he manages to get to the bridge and starts crawling up behind Jago and, and knocks him – Knocks him down as Jago spirals down into the water and and Spider-Man, for some reason, doesn't say, no, 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 not like Gwen. He grabs, he saves the man, um, swinging him down to the streets. And his Spider-Man starts to go off as as Jago starts to attack him. Spider-Man webs his legs and and Jago uh, drags him around flying and slams him into the cables. Every time Jago hits Spider-Man, he gets more and more dizzy and weak because of the headache. As Jago grabs him by the legs and pretty much drags him from the neck in midair. We cut then to a scene with uh, Mary Jane and Aunt, Aunt Anna and Aunt May visiting uh, Harry and Peter's pad. With Aunt May, just you know, she's always worried. Somehow she learned that Peter w- had left school early because she was he was sick. Which, okay, let's talk. How does she know that? It's Aunt May. You, you don't think that like she's got Professor Warren on her speed dial and like she calls every day like, did Peter wear a jacket into class today? By the way, what's your curriculum this semester? Make sure that Peter doesn't go near any of those dangerous chemicals. You know, what this reminds me of we were just watching Arrested Development tonight and the mother on that, the way she treats the son with the glasses. Uh, Buster. Buster, yeah. We're watching the episode tonight where she's not allowing Buster to go swimming in the ocean. No, you're not going to go swim in the ocean. You're not going to go swim in the ocean. Of course, he's like 30. Yeah, he's 32 years old. Of course, the silly part of that show is that whenever he does finally go swim in the ocean, his hand gets bitten off by a seal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it actually really, you know, ends up she had a point. But she didn't really have a point because that was completely random and hijinks. There was an episode in the first season where, like, it, it's, like, Buster trying to, like, become more independent and, like, go out from his mother's, like, shell. And, like, she goes into a boardroom meeting and, like, tells off, like, Buster and, like, the other son, uh, Job. And, like, and then, like, Buster, like, he's basically going to go back with the mom. And the brother's like, what? But after everything that happened, you know, you flew so high today. And then Buster's like, yes, but a little too close to the sun. And then the mom says, you let him go out in the sun? I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the funny thing is like the camera pulls out and like this like big like thing like it was in the middle of a boardroom meeting for uh the family's company <laughs> the whole like board of directors was there yeah yeah so, she's, she's 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 terrible so while uh, while may is being relieved mary jane says to harry hey there handsome i just had an economy-sized brainstorm let's drive mrs p and my ever-loving auntie home in your chariot and then we can go- join pdo for a coke okay 
because Harry told him that he doesn't he hasn't come home yet, so then he must be at the Silver Spoon drinking some Coke or something. Best offer I had all day, MJ. You only said it that because it's true. So we cut from that flight of fancy to more fights of violence. Before, before we while, get one, can, can I can I just draw attention to to one thing in that speech balloon? Go shoot. Look at how they spelled okay. Yeah. It's O K E. I which, have okay. Really? Yeah, I I have okay. Period. Question mark. Okay, the original spelling is an outdated, archaic spelling for okay, which was O-K-E, which you will see, especially in Golden Age comics, whenever the phrase okay was new to the language and no one really knew how to spell it, um, you'll see O-K-E a lot. And that's how it is in this issue. It's O-K-E, and that's how you spell okay. Yeah, I gloss over it because the essentials edited that out. It actually... When I first read it, I wasn't sure if it was some sort of like rhyming game that didn't really mean anything. Then we can join PDO for a Coke, Oak. But no, I think it's I think it's supposed to be okay, and I guess they thought so too because whenever they did the essentials. Well, yeah, the essentials have have, have corrected some things before in the past. Yeah. So while Drago was dragging Spider-Man in midair by the neck, Spider-Man karate chops both his legs and forcing him to let go because of the pain, as he says. He lands on a nearby flagpole and starts mounting his offense. But Drago uh, slams him back into the wall. Spider-Man, his, we've never seen him this week before. Or I'm not going to say that, but not in a while. Just because of this cold. He's, his head is pounding. He's, losing, he's dropping in and out of consciousness. And he's thinking to himself as he's clinging to the wall, If I didn't have this fever, if my head wasn't burning so, I could take him. I know I could. But I can't just give up now. How can Spider-Man be beaten by a common cold? I never thought the end would come like this. And this this is basically this basically shows how this is like one of those issues from the past where a lot of people like to say, "Huh, Spider Man, he's such a relatable hero." Sometimes he when he fights villains, he's sick. That's, yeah, this, they did in issue twelve, and they're doing it in issue forty eight. So it never again. It, it's it's three years apart. I wouldn't say it's a super common thing, especially since three years was a much longer time in comics back then than it is now. Well, when they do stuff like this, they like play it out to the extreme like at one point he's like huh i wonder if there's ever been a superhero carrying around tissues before yeah and nose shops or whatever so, so he actually blacks out <laughs> everything going dark Can't hang on the world spinning around and before he hits the ground Drago gets in one last kick and slams him into a nearby roof he's finished if the fall didn't do it the freezing cold will why he lies there Spider-Man has been destroyed at last by the high-flying vulture. Nobody can beat a man with wings. <laughs> I'll take over the world with this wonderful power. I no need then, to check for his body. Well, his body is, is lying out cold. Spider-Man's just completely splayed out on, on top of the snowy roof. To be continued. With a big question mark. Okay, okay. <laughs> to be continued? So... Is it just me, or did the art really open up in this book? I don't know if, it, if if maybe they did it in previous issues, but I noticed it for the first time here, where we have like three or four panels on a page, huge cinematic images, and I just I really really I, I think this is where Romita starts to starts to open up because he started out doing really tight paneling like Ditko did, and now we're having really really open panels. I go ahead, Josh. I think that that's just the difference between like where comics, you know, storytelling is going now. Cause like, you know, issues of other Marvel comics are starting to be more like that as time goes on. Okay. I was going to say in last issue, 
I actually was just looking back just now. If you noticed, halfway through the Craven issue, uh, I, I don't know if it was because of the action scenes or what, but you would get more of those those lesser paneled pages, and I think that that would carry over into the rest of the run. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm flipping through the Craven issue now. Once he attacks, yeah, you're getting three, four panels on a page after that point, and then once the action's over, it tightens up again to six. But I don't think we have any or at least not many pages in the book that have more than six panels, whereas uh, Ditko was, you know, usually, you know, eight or nine. But anyways, it doesn't matter. It's just one thing I noticed. So thank you for that recap, Donovan. This is a, I don't know, this is a pretty fun issue. What did y'all think? I, I like liked it. <laughs> we both like it. <laughs> I like it. Mikey likes it. Going back to the beginning of the story, I don't remember it looking like winter in the last issue. Like he mentions a cold spell and it really sounds like we're following up almost immediately on the last issue. I'm just going to assume that Spider-Man was out hunting for Craven when he found the thugs and Stiltman in the Daredevil issue. Cause it really feels like it's following up pretty directly from there, but now it's snowing everywhere and he's, he's complaining about the, how a cold spell is, is, you know, being really persistent, but uh, it doesn't really, it's not really jive with what we saw last, last month. You know, the funny thing is that, like, I've noticed ever since I was a little younger that a lot of modern comics these days will play up on the on the seasonal time that is, that is in real life. But this issue was like, it 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 was it was like this was like right right when spring started when this came out, right? Like around March. No, this issue came out early February, which in the Northeast is definitely still in the middle of snow. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of cover dates. <laughs> uh, having lived in Connecticut, because I. I yeah, February to me, you're not supposed to get cold weather anymore after that. But having lived in Connecticut for three years, February, yeah, you, you still have a month or two ahead of you of snow. Uh, I do think this is the first issue with that has been in the winter, I think. I really hope so, too. Um, for two. I think you're right, too. I think this is uh, this is the first time they've really brought that out, that it's it's snowy time. I don't think that, that it is, but I have nothing to back that up on. Although in black and white, it's kind of hard because that, that that scene where Jocko knocks out the driver, it's hard to tell where the 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 thought captions are coming from with all the snow. Oh yeah, without without the color. Now you're saying Drago, Josh. Did you always say Drago or did you say Drago? I think I said Drago. I don't remember. I, I don't say his name that often because he's not really like you know. Because in my head, I've always said Blackie Drago, but while you were reading, while you were doing your recap, I went and looked up the name, and it's an Italian surname, so I guess it is supposed to be Drago. Yeah, I I love Rocky IV, so that's probably why I say Drago. Oh, and I haven't seen the Rocky films. Yeah, when he's like, does Stan Lee like already recycling names? Because you know we got another Blackie now. Yeah, I think we've actually had a few Blackies, like not the one that's owning a a convenience store now. But um, the murderer of uh, Bennett Brandt, right? Who? <laughs> no, no, yeah, the, who, who passed the blame on the Doctor Octopus? Like in death, like everywhere I like, every time it's brought up, like thereafter, it's Doctor Octopus killed Bennett Brandt. Like the way that they tell it, it's like Doctor Octopus like choked the life out of him, like with his tentacles. No, uh, he was doing something else with his tentacles during that time. And Betty was right oh. next to him. <laughs> Whenever Spidey is swinging past the prison, 
He's all up in the sky above the prison walls. And I'm all of a sudden very curious what kind of tall structures there are right next to the prison that he could be Uh swinging from. (laughs) It it, it seems like those structures might be conducive to a jailbreak and you really shouldn't be building there. I know. It's it's totally like – there was a game – okay, you know – I seem to recall back when I was really, really, really first made aware of Spider-Man. Like I'm talking like the first, the first like six months of the year. This is like back when I was like five or six. That there was a game that was either related to the Spider-Man '90s show, or it was like a commercialized joke during the '90s show's premiere, where it asked like, I think it was a computer game, and it said, "Where does Spider-Man's webs go?" Because so much, so often. Either whether it's in comics or cartoons or media, you don't see where he swings at. So like it's just seeing him like swing from the sky. Right. This, that's what this reminds me of. And one of the things that annoyed me about the Spider-Man movies is he would shoot his web up to something and then it would just pull him up. You know, he would be standing flat footed, shoot about. his web, and then he would just lift into the air. That's not the way that's supposed to work. But like in the Daredevil issue, whenever he – He's up against Stiltman, and Stiltman stilts into the air, and then suddenly Spider-Man's on his web, ascending up there to punch him. I was like, this is a Tobey Maguire Spider-Man moment. He shot his web, and is just lifting himself into the air on it. Some of the some of the best animated episodes in the 90s show actually had Spider-Man, like, he would pull, or he would he would uh, cast a web, he would, he would uh, shoot out a web, and then he would, he would see, like, his body working to, like, to, like uh, push him forward, as, instead of just him ascending to the skies. Right. Uh, to me, the vulture is the villain equivalent of Aunt May. He's the ancient geezer who refuses to kick the bucket. What do you mean? Clearly, he's dead in this issue. <laughs> it's right here on the page. And Doesn't he die in this issue? <laughs> yeah. You have no idea. When I, was, when I was reading this, I was like, yes, yes. I haven't read the issue where they explain how he comes back in years, but like I, I've re- I've read it recently. It's just as bad as you remember. Yeah, like from what I recall, like it's just like he was so angry that he overcame his injury. So if he got sodden, whatever it was that like was making him on death's door, he was so angry that like he got cured. He just decided to live. Like <laughs> as anyone who's taken <laughs> workshop can attest, injuries in workshop are never a good thing. That's exactly what it was. He willed himself to. He decided to. Live. Okay, I was like, I was like, am I remembering? And before I reread this issue, I thought he was dying because like he like contracted an illness or something, and like he got angry and his immune system like fought back. That's stupid, but that's like scientifically better than like his lungs that got sawed in half magically healed because he was so pissed at Blackie. He regenerated. <laughs> he regenerated his lower torso. <laughs> Now, I said I think I said last time that, that I wouldn't be talking about Spider-Man Blue anymore, but I forgot that in Spider-Man Blue, they have the Craven issue and the Vulture issues out of order. And the Craven issue happens after the Vulture issue, so they do include this they do re- recreate the story where Blocky Drago like like and actually this actually the scene happens in the lunchroom where all of a sudden Tombs starts hacking his guts out. And Jocko says, "You're not gonna make it, uh, Tombs. Just tell me we cut the vulture things." And like, you don't see like Jocko like like go fall and chuckle to himself, like, "Ha ha, I tricked you." Like he's he's actually brutally beaten by the guards. <laughs> like get away from get away from Jocko. And then like, I think the next time you see him, you he's already broken out with the wings. And I actually really 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 like how Spider Blue Spider Man Blue did it because. Spider-Man fighting um, Drago and losing was juxtaposed with like a New Year's Eve party, I think, with Harry, Flash, Gwen, and Mary Jane, and um, it was like 
once it's stroke midnight, you see like Flash's face laughing that Peter's not there, and then you see Jargo's face laughing because Spider Man's like unconscious, and they, and then you see like Spider Man's body split out. So I would actually very very much recommend Spider Man Blue just for that story because I, I like the storytelling in that. I have actually never read Spider Man Blue, so I, I probably need to remedy that. They they reprinted it in a, in a softback. Um, Trade paperback. Soft paperback, yeah, and I think it's like cheaper than it used to be. I think it's like seventeen ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine. Okay, I may get a copy. I don't want to say that the Vulture is the first legacy character in Marvel because we've had the Human Torch, but would you say? Can you think of anyone? Is this the first legacy villain that we've had? Uh, possibly. Legacy villain, um, like you know, someone who's taken. That hasn't been dis- that hasn't been said yet. No, but no, but when Red Skull first appeared and like oh, that's the- right, yeah, 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 because they the first Red Skull died and they had another Red Skull. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you were talking. How about. How do I know that and you don't? Uh, we haven't gotten that far in the Mighty Shield yet. Isn't it in like the first like three issues? Um, I think that the first Red Skull goes away after issue four, and we haven't done that issue yet. Is it wait? Is it? Are you talking about like is the original Red Skull like done away with, or is Johann Schmidt like assumed to be there or something? No. Johann Schmidt was like reckoned to be like the guy who like the original Red Skull was working for, like the original publication one. Like, yeah, they they retconned that Johann Schmidt was behind the scenes in the first Red Skull stories, but the first Red Skull, who I think is Red Skull, I think Johann Schmidt appears in Captain America Comics Seven, um, but the Red Skull that appeared before that dies. My mind. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it myself. I actually, I actually would like to read some early but when, but when I said it hadn't been done yet, I was thinking of the the uh, the fifties Red Skull. They, the, at this point, they have not yet retconned that was a different Red Skull. I'm thinking of um, I'm trying to think of not of like modern Marvel though, or like quote unquote like you know like Silver Age on. So right, right. I was just trying to think of people from the Silver Age being you know <laughs> passing on their identity to somebody else, and I, I couldn't really think of anyone. Well, I mean, it's I, I'd, I'd honestly have to go through a list, and there's still a lot of Silver Age Marvel that I haven't read. I know, like, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, and Spider-Man, but, like, I haven't read enough Iron Man stories or, you know, Avengers. Oh, Crimson Dynamo. There were, there were a couple of Crimson. Okay. Well, suffice to say, it wasn't really being done that often. Pass on. You know, now... Well, the universe is only a few years old. Right. But nowadays, if you're going to say a villain's name... You have to figure out which villain you're. T- you still have to figure out which villain you're talking about. I mean, which beetle is this? Which you know? Which venom? Which green goblin? Which right, goblin? right. Which one are we talking about? But here, that was not being done very much, and this is definitely the first Spider-Man villain to have a second identity. Well, I, I think this is a really cool story for its time. I, I, I like the idea that not only is he still he's concentrating on finding Craven still, and he's sick, and then like there's there's all he's like, what the heck? There's a new vulture. I, I like the randomness of the of the of the situation he's in. And Adrian Toomes, you know, he was getting old. His mind was starting to go. He couldn't remember his lines all the time. He was always having to take vacations from work. So they they brought in this other younger black uh, vulture <laughs> to take his place. You know, to 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 entertain the children of a new generation. They weren't sure it was going to work, but the fact that Blackie Drago presented the character with such a different person. If he had tried to ape Adrian Toomes, then it, it totally would have flopped. But but since he played it so differently, then I think it really succeeded, and that's what that's what made the character last so long. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and he was playing the flute along too. He was playing. I'd like a hat like that. <laughs> awesome. I don't know Doctor what we're referencing at all. Oh, okay. Doctor Who. Sorry. 
Got it. Okay. The transition between from the, from the very first guy to play the doctor, whenever they first replaced him and brought on a new actor, was a big gamble. But the the, the first guy was old and decrepit and we couldn't remember his lines anyway, so they had to do something. Anyways, I wanted to see like Adrian Toomes, like like you know like hear the TARDIS like do do regenerate to fucking Drago. That would have been a better thing than like oh, this workshop accident. Yes. <laughs> the doctors are like, what's wrong? He, he's like stuff. Padme Amidala. Like they're like, like he, he he doesn't survive until he has the will to live. Like the doctors like he's lost the will to live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's I, nothing. There's nothing more we can do. He needs a smile. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. I, I I I love it. And like I don't like the vulture. I don't like Adrian Toomes, and I don't like Pocky Jago much either, just because. It, nothing else. Like they, they basically. I don't want to say master people. They, they basically have way too much fun with this power of flying around. And that he's so strong and he's so fast. I mean, in the next issue, he like knocks over a helicopter. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. I, I, that, I don't buy that. But I like, I like the the, the, the douchiness of of Drago, and I like. I do kind of get a kick on how 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 sort of, well, sort of stupid he is. It's the vulture is Spider Man's first enemy. Uh, yeah. according, according to a slip up by uh, uh, solicits actually yeah. Stephen Wacker came on the CBR and said that he wrote that solicitation and that was a mistake of his because he when he was younger he read the Vulture issue first or something so okay, well, if, if there's been a confession and an explanation that's fine uh, I'll forgive it I guess but it's still really annoying that solicitations for issues have things like Spider-Man's gonna fight his first enemy again the Vulture well, they don't say he's going to fight his first enemy, the Vulture. They say he's going to fight his first enemy. And then it says, like, and then, like, the, the title is, like, the Vulture. Right. So, like, and then, like, I joked on one of the message boards. I was like, oh, cool, the Vulture and the Chameleon are totally going to team up. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. Does that mean the Vomiting Vulture is done away with now? He hasn't been seen since uh, Origin that of the That one story speech. he was in? No, he was in Origin of the Species. Oh, I didn't read that. Oh, yeah, I didn't read that either. Origin of the Species had, like, every single villain that was in Brand New Day, with the exception of Freak and maybe, like, one or two other people. Like, they made a very big deal, because, like, that was supposed to be the finale of Brand New Day, but then they had one issue left, so then that was the finale of Brand New Day. But, like, everyone everyone shows up for, like, a panel or two. Like, Spot, who was in that fill-in issue by Van Linte, he's, like, webbed up in a jail cell, and a cop's like, boy, Spider-Man's mad. What's her face shows up the one the one who the one who I actually like the webcam one. I like uh, oh, um, screwball not, screwball yeah it's like not speedball which I love her as a villain and I love her concept but I hate how every time she shows up they have the most clunky exposition to tell you like her motivation yeah yeah they always the characters always say boy you're only in it for the website hits aren't you yep I'm only in it for the website hits you don't really want to do this you're just in it for internet fame I'm in it for internet fame well we sure established who you are for new readers I like her I like the idea of her I don't like the fact that she punks Spider-Man just because of parkour that that annoyed the crap out of me and uh, I, was re- I was reading about um, Batch Rock the Leaper. He was admiring some parkour people in the issue of Captain America. It was weird, very strange. Speaking of exposition, as I said before, this 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 issue. <laughs> it's all the people used to say about air currents, downdrafts, wind velocity. Oh, okay, now that's that's how he flies in like five seconds. I, 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 I actually like it, but it's it's clunky at best and pathetic at worst. And it's all out loud, you know. Yeah. I mean, People aren't thinking in this book. They are saying every word that comes into their head. 
Once I reach that phone, he won't even make it to the first main road. He says to no one but himself, the guard. Maybe Harry Osborne's on to something with this whole, like, you know, talking out loud, like, and having conversations <laughs> with himself. Like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be real hard on old Harry. Do we want to give any ribbing to the um, the scene with the girls, page seven? Oh, oh, well, that's only one girl. Yeah, well, it's kind of Harry, too. No, I was thinking Mary Jane whenever I said it, but she's not in the scene. She comes in. Maybe it's all we had to, but I, I like, I, I think Gwen looks good in this because I think Gwen looks better without the hair, headband because you see it so much. And she looks more all natural without it, which is weird to say. We see Mary Jane in seventeen, page 17. That's what I was thinking of. I just imagine, like, this is, okay, we don't know how much time has passed since she's 47, but, like, she comes home, like, let's say this is the next day, like, you know, it, it probably isn't, but if it is, like, she comes home, she's like, I danced my ass off at that party, and Peter was still all over Mary Jane and all over that camera, that's it, and then she's like, oh, well, Peter must have noticed my dancing, and then, like, you know, called me, and she goes to her answering machine, Selena Kyle, like, Batman Returns style, and then, like, gets mad that Peter didn't call her, wrecks her apartment, then, like, goes to her mirror, she's like, Peter will notice me now! And then, like, you know, dramatic music is, like, she changes her hair, and, like, the cats are hiding, and you see, like, you know... <laughs> the cats are hiding! <laughs> it, 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 like, it, hairbrushes, and, like, you know, silhouettes and shadows, and, like, Captain Stacy's, like, knocking on the door, Gwen! Dear, are you all right in there? Shut up, father. I'm doing something important. And <laughs> I don't know about you, Miss Kitty, but I'm feeling a And then, like, she's like, at last, Peter will see me. Hilda and Mary Jane will be together at last. Oh, say, Gwen, nice hairdo. Why, thanks, Mr. Parker. And then, like, goes to class. And then, like, she's thinking, ah, oh, that fool. Ha! Yeah, she's, she's still in dicko mode. That's what, that's what it is. <laughs> she, she's in dicko mode in her head. But, like, honestly, her changing her hair, like, okay. Can when, we all say that she's doing, that, 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 that it's like Mary Jane on purpose and she's doing it to get Peter to notice her? Like, is, yes. that, is that the interpretation we're all going with, right? Because she's I'll like, I that at least half, that's at least half, at least half the reason and most likely mainly the reason. Okay, yeah, because that's like, that is a sign that this girl is getting desperate at this point. She has been throwing herself at Peter for so long now, and it is not working. Like, now she's, like, she's changing her image, which, like, okay, partially that's kind of sexist, like, all is for a boy, but hey, that's all Marvel Silver Age females did. It was all about the boys. They well, did not- and also, in fairness, she, she's, not a, she's not a grown woman professional like Karen Page. She's, she's a college kid. She's professional. She's a secretary. I, I had to milk it somehow. I, well, I do I mean, feel like it's it's possible that you could read it that she didn't realize what she was doing. She was appreciating Peter's uh, compliment, and then whenever Harry says it's more like Mary Jane, she realizes that Peter I, might just be complimenting her because she looks like Mary Jane. I, I think that she did it partially for Peter. I don't think she did it to be like Mary Jane, but I do think that she did it for Peter to notice her. So, so her little, oh, that's right, I dot, dot, dot. Hadn't thought of that. Could either be, oh yeah, I did think of that. Was doing it deliberately, or it could actually be she was legitimately caught off guard. Well, to I, quote I think Donovan Morgan Grant during the great, you know, battle of did Flash take when she's saying this with like a smile on her face, like, <laughs> oh, I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this Donovan? Morgan? And there is a worried expression on her face. It's not a complete smile. There, there's some consternation going oh, yeah, on. No, there. There, there's some great storytelling here because it's, it's like on both Stanley and John Romita's part. I, like. <laughs> In the midst of all this exposition and vulture nonsense, there's actually a really good character bit with, uh, with like, 
it, they're really I think I like the way they're doing this whole Gwen and Peter relationship because it's not I mean it's 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 kind of like padding it out with like you know will they won't they but it's also like to me because they're young I can kind of get them taking a long time to get together and I like the way that this is now where she's trying to impress she's at least hinted you can infer that she's trying to impress them but she didn't mean to like resemble her rival for his affections I think it's a I think it's organic I mean she has her first appearance in issue thirty and they're really 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 for real together around issue 60 they have their first date in issue 53 spoiler okay, so alert. that's two years and like even after their first dates like no, no, they're, they're not, still they're not really i would yeah. say between between issue 65 and 70 they get together i don't know exactly they don't issue. start going steady until like issue 60s like because because like he realizes that like she's the girl that he cared that he loves like he says that in his sleep and like, i finally yeah, yeah. <laughs> like but before that he was still like supposedly he was still dating MJ, like, because the dialogue was, like, you know, like, that Betty and Veronica era that everyone, like, always talks about, like, that was when it happened, like, during those, like, you know, issues between issue 53 and, like, you know, issue 60-something. And I think Harry... I think it's more in character for Harry to put his foot in his mouth and not know what he's saying. But an alternative interpretation, which I'm not going with, is that Harry, you know... The Harry articles. Is that, like, Harry, you know, who wants to date Gwen himself, like, you know is, like, saying this to, like, kind of put Peter in the doghouse. Like, oh, you like Gwen's hair? Yo, Peter likes your hairdo. That's because it's his girlfriend's hairdo. I think that this this coming after the issue where he says, between my my Gwen and your Mary Jane, we haven't made, I think that's actually a, a logical way to go about it. I would say that he probably did put his foot in his mouth, but when you consider the consecutive uh, order of the issues, it makes a lot of sense if you were to do um, that on purpose. And this is coming after all those interviews, which we talked about, like, you know, last podcast that or well, no, last podcast was the reboot. But, you know, when we talked about issue 47, that I, I, I see this all the time. This is like that often repeated story that's like gone down in legend that like when Mary Jane showed up, we tried to make one more interesting. We told John to draw her this way and this way and this way. But we just couldn't make her more interesting than MJ, no matter how hard we tried. And I think that this is one of the things like. This is one of the ways that they were doing it. Like, let's give Gwen Mary Jane's haircuts, which I think in the very, very long run. And then let's take MJ's haircut away from her. But that's way down the road. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and let's yeah. write Mary Jane out of the book. Yeah. And that's for the heck you make of Gwen it, more interesting than MJ. MJ just won't be there. <laughs> and for the heck of it, let's give Harry a Fu Manchu stash. Um, uh, oh my God, can you say it's the seventies? It's the seventies. Not yet, though. Or is it the seventies? By the time he gets the mustache, I don't think it is. I but think so. I think in the long run, though, like people talk about, like, oh, look at Gwen from issue thirty. She's so rough and like blah 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 and so assertive. How did how did she become that crying little daddy's girl? And I think. Like, this haircut is, like, one of those steps to take it that way, because the, like, Marvel method is, the issues are plotted, they're drawn, and then, like, the dialogue's put in, and I think, as, like, Stan's putting the dialogue in, he might change Gwen's dialogue to reflect on the art more, and if Gwen looks different because of the art... He's going to write her differently. Like, if that makes any sense. Like, I know this sounds stupid, but like... Well, also, the artist can say, they're saying these kinds of things here. And then Stan comes up with the exact phrasing. So it might actually have been John's idea, too. Yeah, John Romita Sr. said, like, in in the the, uh, interview book I have, that he wouldn't just do the art. He and and Stan were... It was very... He doesn't know very much about the the Stanley Steve Dicko 
partnership himself. He really doesn't. But where, where he remembers him and Sam working together, it was very much a collaboration. I know it sounds stupid to say that Gwen's personality changed because they gave her a haircut, but I honestly think that, like... <laughs> no, that's true. I honestly think that it's partially true because, you know, like, when she looks different, you know, when you're dialoguing this stuff and you're drawing her, you do it to reflect the art, and I think it's partially what changed her personality. I also think that having her father showed up changed her personality a lot, too, but... Yeah. Well, whenever, she, whenever she's drawn angular with stark eyebrows and always scowling at Peter, she's going to be written as a bitch. And when she's drawn softer with nicer curves on her face and smiling at Peter, you know, she's going to be written as a nicer, softer girl. Unfortunately, the only kinds of nice, soft girls that Stanley knows how to write are – I guess we'll find out about that Whip- as we keep on going. Yeah, whimpering blondes. Yeah, whimpering blondes. Well, do Simpering, we – whimpering her. I mean – this I think the middle panel at the bottom of page seven. Oh, that's right. I hadn't thought of that. I think that's like Gwen automatic. Like like it's 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 begun. It's her turning into like the simpering. What is it? There's one page. This one uh, uh, comic where like it's the splash page is literally Gwen crying in front of you, it, <laughs> with like her eyes closed and her hands like together. Like I think this is like the, the, the like like the very much beginning of that, and it's already it's gotten a head start. it's an evolution and like because once her father shows up you know it also he becomes he serves a lot of narrative purposes but a big one that he serves is he's someone that Gwen can air her grievances to and when a girl is airing grievances to her father it becomes like it makes her into the crying dad you know daddy's girl baby because right now and since issue 30, who's going to air her grievances to? Is she going to go up to Flash Thompson and say, oh, Peter didn't talk to me at the space exhibit? Is she going to go up to Harry Osborne, who at this point she's also dating, saying, oh, Harry, man who I'm dating, why isn't your roommate, you know, liking my new hairdo? I'm not Professor Warren, you know, not – I mean she doesn't have a relationship with Aunt May at this point. And despite, you know, words to the contrary by, you know, revisionists, you know, her and Mary Jane are virtually strangers who have the same group of friends. So it's – until Cap – like once Captain Stacy comes on, you know, it's – Instead of like this, where like we can guess, like, is Gwen doing this, you know, for her haircut? And why is Gwen, you know, dancing, you know, here? Is she trying to get Peter jealous? Like, she actually has someone to say this stuff to, like, oh, daddy, it's so horrible. So him coming on, that that's a big, that goes a big step to changing her character. And we're going to see, uh, you, you mentioned how Gwen and Mary Jane are still kind of strangers at this point. I was about to say, I, 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 would, I would agree with that until next issue. Next issue, no. actually, it, it comes Still. up as a point. All I'm going to say before we get to next issue is if you're going to say that, like, after next issue, they're not virtually strangers anymore, I'm calling baloney on it because of the way that it went down. But yeah, we'll get there. Okay, before we get to the Mary Jane scene, because that's a little bit of an insanity, there are a couple of, like, nitpicks I had in the story. Nitpicks? What? (laughs) On page 14. Okay, so the vulture snags Spider-Man and keeps on going. He says, that clown's no weakling. He's hauling me off as if I'm weightless. He's not using any strength here whatsoever. He's not lifting Spider-Man with his arms. Spider-Man snags his legs, and the vulture just keeps on going. The only thing that's, I mean, it's not the vulture's strength. It's the power of his flying suit and maybe his momentum that, you know, is keeping him going. So I just had to, you know, Spider-Man, Peter Parker's a science major. If you, if, maybe if you, they should have given that scholarship to Jason Ionello. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but it's momentum here, not not the vulture strength. My my favorite page 
not really my favorite page, but for the sakes of sick humor, my favorite page in this entire book is uh, is page 16. Whenever the vulture comes up behind Spider-Man and wraps his legs around him, so we have like Spider-Man and the vulture crotch the whole time. Because it wouldn't be a vulture story without some really strange sexual pose between Spider-Man and the vulture. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and, I, and I just think it's really, really funny. That and it wouldn't be a Made Spider-Man classic episode without John making some strange sexual joke. Okay, you know what, though? <laughs> the first sexual joke on this show was Bertoni pointing out the first vulture weird sexual pose. I'm just saying. I thought that the first joke was like Uncle Ben waking Peter up. <laughs> well, the first page of the comic book of the first appearance of Spider-Man. Which yeah, like didn't so, didn't you tell me that? John? Right, like, was you because you were all like tentative when you were saying you're like I don't I don't want to be too weird, but you know, um, he's stroking his nephew's arm here, and you know, talking about wrestling with him. And I, you know, I, I remember that now. That was the beginning of the bad humor. Yes, his, yes. his 15 year old nephew. I didn't start it. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> I just. I didn't start the you fire, but I keep on. Start the retcons. <laughs> oh god! Or the sexy jokes. Speaking of sexy, Mary Jane walks into page seventeen. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope she didn't hurt her head too badly when she walked into it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere, Flash Thompson's laughing. I, I, I love her dialogue in this entire thing. Like, here's his pad now, and not an oxygen tent in sight. Surprise, Harry boy. We brought goodies, giggles, and grins for your germ riddled roommate. Like the alliteration is like Bruce Tim actually said in the quote once when he did a, a story, I think with um, Eric Larson actually uh, called like like it was it was in a, a Fantastic Four story from Marvel, and the idea of it was that they were going to like take Kirby's like the Kirby run of, of Fantastic Four and like recreate it to tell to tell like an untold tale and try to get it as best of the era as they could. And a lot of a lot of like co-writers came on, and Bruce Tim said that like uh, they would make him alliterate all the time. He says that if you look at the issues, he really doesn't alliterate all that much. Well, I'm seeing it here. There's a lot of there's a lot of that like in the general caption in the credits and in Mary Jane's like drug induced uh, dialogue. I think that <laughs> I think that in the 60s, I think it probably died off in, the, in like the late 60s, early 70s. But like in 1966, right now, it's it's pretty rapid fire. Aunt May showing up at Peter's house. Ugh. Like, okay, and Aunt Anna, like, tagging along, like, you don't need to worry. I'm sure Peter just, like, you can tell that, like, the whole car right there, Aunt Anna's like, Aunt May, you are being ridiculous. The boy moved out. I am your roommate now. Chill out. He is a grown-ass man. And, like, <laughs> like, Hear that, May? I told you not to worry so. Yeah. <laughs> At the gosh darn it! In the and, past, though, she's sort of been like an enabler, but in this issue, in the next issue, Aunt Anna starts saying, "You know what, May? You need to calm the fuck down." She she must do this off. Like this is not her first visit to Peter Parker's pad, probably. I mean, she must like. I mean, I I I joked on another podcast that she calls Harry all the time, probably, to make sure that like you know Peter like you know use clean towels after he took a shower, or he'll or he'll like get a rash, or like you know if Peter doesn't put his socks on just right, he'll break his toe and like bleed to death in the middle of the apartment. And so we leave Spider Man prone, broken, lying in the snow on a skyscraper rooftop as the vulture flies away uh, with his wings. <laughs> Broken, 
and done. <laughs> yeah. And and well, we, we really are led to believe that Adrian Toomes is dead in this story, but even though he's dead, he will be back in 19 issues. So don't worry about that. Yeah, don't you worry, all you Adrian Toomes fans. Well, that's the other thing. Him leaving Spider-Man broken like that. It's like, Craven did the same thing last issue. Oh, Spider-Man knocked down. Well, I'm going to turn around before he obviously stands up and assume that I've defeated Spider-Man forever and walk away and talk like... That would be like... If I walk up to somebody in a schoolyard, I push them down. They landed on their butt, and I turned around before they had a chance to stand up, and I walked away saying, I've defeated them. I've defeated them at last. Like, check to make sure that the guy's dead. He's flying away like, well, Spider-Man fell down. That's the end of that. I'm going to nitpick it next episode, but by by the internal story logic, Spider-Man should have died here. And, and, and I'll talk about that it's next time. It's also the fact that they make a lot of references that superhuman strength saves him a lot of times from surviving falls and blows and stuff. Well, for Christ's sakes, check. <laughs> he really should check. Check. He's like, oh, he must be de- fly. Like, come down there and like use your like sharp wings to cut his head off, snap his neck, choke him, or like while he's unconscious, drop him from an even greater height into the ocean or like into a smokestack or something, so they could discover his skeleton in like you know a '90s comic. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> so to wrap up this issue, our ads this month, we have a man asking us on the inside cover if we're shamed by our English. No. This is one of a series of ads that are led by a big old bold-faced question. And Lily and I like to tease each other about these these questions. Are you, are you shamed by your English? Are you too skinny? Then an ad for more Marvel masterpieces now on sale featuring Marvel Tales 8 which reprints Amazing Spider-Man 13 with Mysterio. Kind of significant after last episode. Is that the one where like uh, he's tricked into thinking that he's going crazy? No, this is the first Mysterio. Where, oh, okay, okay. Uh, I guess there was, there was a little bit of that plot, but not nearly as much as they did in the later issue, 24, I think. Also, the Human Torch from Strange Tales, the Wasp from Tales to Astonish, and Thor from Journey into Mystery have stories reprinted in that book. Thor 139 is called To Die Like a God, and it kind of wraps up Thor's first story post-Jane Foster. A couple issues back, she had come to Asgard to take some trials to see if she was worthy of Thor, and she failed utterly. And Thor, I thought that already happened. Yeah, I was going to say, that happened a few issues back. This is like the wrapping up of the story that started there, because Thor immediately decided that Sif was a pretty tasty-looking piece. So they went off having adventures with Ulick, the troll, and those are wrapping up in this issue. There's also Marvel Collector's Item Classics, issue 8, that was in last month's ad. After that, we have a page with our favorite nuclear submarine toy and a set of joke <laughs> yeah. cards. Joke cards, huh? Yeah. Uh, then you can win prizes or cash by selling grit, be a super spy with a spy pen, and be a master of karate. Is the spy pen like the one from uh, GoldenEye? I really want it to be. <laughs> but it's being sold in a Marvel comic from the 1960s, so I really don't think it is. <laughs> see through walls with quotes around C, like Solo and Ilya and the man from Uncle. And um, let's see. Then we have a couple of hodgepodge ads, including a rather large ad on one of the pages for New Mexico. This, you know, uh, New Mexico is cool. Here's and, a random ad. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this next page of ads made me smile. It is a Johnson Smith novelty ad. Now, for those of you listening to me over on Golden Age Superman, you will know Johnson Smith novelty ads have been running in comics since Action Comics number one. 
possibly before. So it amused me to see them still going strong here 30 years later. And one of the bits of junk you could get was a gasoline-burning miniature jet engine to attach to your goat car. Your goat. <laughs> but that would be funny. Your boat, car, or plane model kit. So yeah, giving children things to burn gasoline with, that's always fun. The Marvel Bullpen Bulletin page brings us a... <clears throat> Profound potpourri of perplexing pronouncements and preposterous philosophy, all portending practically nothing. (laughs) There is no mighty Marvel checklist in this edition. They say they decided to remove it and to let them know if it's missed. And although it does come back next month, they actually start being a lot more uh, fluctuational about whether or not they're going to include the checklist. The days of always having one every month are over. There is an item about Irving Forbush, and do you really want to know more about him or just let him remain a joke? And evidently, Marvel's so far lighthearted banter about Brand Eck is getting some rather personal backlash in the DC comics. (laughs) It begins. Yes. Readers are getting rather upset because DC is taking things personally and getting personal in their insults back. So Stan rather magnanimously responds by saying that there are plenty of talented people working for the various other comics companies. Many of those once worked for Marvel or may work for Marvel in the future, and that everything is intended to be good-natured, and he even gives apologies in case feelings were genuinely hurt. I honestly think that the DC... I think that DC did, did that as, as a stunt. I don't think they were really offended because of the stories I heard with the creators all like like going out to eat in between writing stories. Oh yeah, with the editors all friends and stuff. Julia Schwartz and those those kind of guys, piling around with Stanley. That's possible. Julia Schwartz was later though, right? That was seventies. Well, uh, he came in at the end of the sixties. Okay, it might be that they get to that point but haven't gotten there yet, or they may already be there. I don't really know. Um, wasn't it Julius Schwartz who like told Stan that who told like Martin Goodwin or someone that Fantastic Four was doing good, or am I confusing him with someone else? No, that was that was no no I know what you're about. That was um Martin was, somebody who was Martin Goodman, me. yeah, but like yeah, but like Martin Goodman was like having golf with like a DC guy, and I think it was Julius Schwartz because I. Yeah, about Julius Schwartz Titans didn't come in. Mean, right? or, Julius Schwartz, I think Julius Schwartz was in DC about a decade before he got really big in the 70s. Because there was even like a joke on um, like that DC documentary that was at Comic-Con in 2010 where like I think it's Julius Schwartz. Like he jokes like he's like, yeah, you know, I, w- I told them that, you know, Justice League was doing really, really good. So then Marvel, you know, decided to like pattern our success, you know, and do a team book and they did Fantastic Four. So not only did I save DC, but I also created Marvel Comics as well, technically. <laughs> and that got like a big laugh out of the audience. <laughs> Regenerated to joke time. <laughs> yeah, then he regenerated. And actually, like, on the subject of the Marvel versus DC thing, I think it's different now because, uh, a lot of people who write for Marvel have written for DC and vice versa. Now, like, it's a more clear distinction. Yeah, Ed Brubaker was on DC for a while before he, was a big, he got big at uh, Marvel. And yeah, I mean, the, the companies are not going to do anything corporately joined anymore. I think the days of, um, of crossovers are either behind us or in the distant future. But um, you, I do not. Sorry, sorry go ahead. I don't, I don't you're right. exclusively for one company or the other. And the two do not really have anything to do with each other anymore. 
I really don't think that they're going to stop doing crossovers. I think that this is regime right now. Regime right now. This this regime, however long it will be, will be finite. And I think that like sooner or later there will be the time where we will see DC and Marvel crossovers. I mean, as I as I look at my DC Marvel crossover classics volume two trade that I got from Comic Con, I I I don't think like permanently never come back again. I really don't. Well, there was nothing specifically about Spidey in this month's bullpen bulletin, but I thought that those tidbits were interesting. There is then a page of ads for Marvel clothes and stationery and a new line of 12 by 16 posters to cover your walls. And after that is the Spider's Web, our letter column, where Amazing Spider-Man 44 and 45 are being praised for the return of the lizard. Did you guys have anything to say in here about these? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, somebody wrote a letter about Mary Jane. Um, it's actually a girl named Mary Ellen, if that isn't her real name. Like, dear Stan and John, I love you. I just recently been awakened to the muchly marvelous Marvel masterpieces and have become something of a spidery campus collector. My favorite college boys, which like makes me think that she's like Gwen Stacy, like you know having all those boys. Come on, Mary Ellen. <laughs> 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 who's gonna Who's gonna take our place with you? Oh, my favorite, my favorite college boy. Oh, my favorite college boy. Why did I read boys? I must be projecting. Sorry. Okay, Mary. It's, Lynn, it's one favorite college boy among amongst other college boys. Oh, th- okay. Yes. So Mary Ellen is a skank. Or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> she's like probably like you know fifty years old right now or something. Like listening to this podcast. Like I was the bell of the ball, wasn't I? Yeah, I had it going on. I was a pussycat doll. Anyway, um, send me all the old, new, and in-between Spidey issues. Yeah, I'm dropping the voice because it's easier. I even wrote a Spidey feature for our campus paper. They're a slow bunch here. Did she co- Is she insulting them? I think I think they mean slow as in business for the paper. They're a slow bunch here, but sure... And and we'll make the big time soon, as far as Marvel's concerned. Enough of that. Yeah, en- enough of, like, insulting my, my alma mater. I love the new Peter Parker Tigers, and so do all of Cabrini's Marvel converts, and most everybody, except maybe Irving Forbish. Now, I have to make an urgent request. Really? Do you have to make Mary Jane so shallow, so too hip? Jazzy Johnny has made her a tribute to comic art, and aside from the fact that I'm a redhead myself, I think she's the epitome of miraculously sensational, inexpressionable wonders. Please, for Pete's sake, for my sake, and all of Marvel's fans' sake, don't turn Mary Jane into an ick! I refuse to believe a redhead could be so dumb as to pass up a bonus like Petey for crying out loud. Pete has to get some satisfaction someday. <laughs> I like this girl. Pete's never going to get no satisfaction. <laughs> you know, of course, I'll probably still love all you Marvel Masters no matter what you do. Since it's all above and beyond the call of duty, I shall continue to anxiously await the arrival of my next Spidey-ish in the mail and turn the town upside down, buying your other mags. Well, may Marvel's metrolic... Ma- Meteoric. Medi- medi- yeah, but what's the next word? Maharajas. You do that last sentence. Well, may Marvel's meteoric Maharajas of mental motivation march on. Forever, even. I, I, I gotta say, I, I am getting really tired of the alliteration. It's getting so... <laughs> well, that, that's Mary Ellen. That's not even Stan. Unless that is Stan. <laughs> I could see Stan like... Like, Stan like role-playing. Like, uh, Flo, dictate a letter for me. Uh, this time I'm gonna be a college girl. Stan! 
You're running out of of characters. Oh, nonsense, Flo. They're going to know it's you. You're doing too much alliteration. Oh, the fans will never suspect. I'll blame <laughs> it on Irving Forbush or our distinguished competition, Bran Eck. If, Speaking if, like, of Webster strapping to a chair and like just like, never mind. Speaking of uh, Stan, you know he he he's either answering a letter or talking to himself. And by the way, this girl leaves her address at like she leaves her dorm room number yeah, and like her college, <laughs> so like her bad. her door her no her dorm room number. Like people are gonna like come up and like <laughs> she's a call like you would you don't do that nowadays. Like I'm a college girl. Here's my dorm room number. Oh well, come up and. <laughs> Yeah, don't come up and, like, break in and attack me or any... I'm, I'm trying to be really delicate with how I joke about that, because that is, like, a serious thing. But, like, ah, I hope that that's a secure campus. But Stan replies either to himself or to, you know, this girl who's obviously real. Loved your letter, Meryl. The fact that you promised to continue buying our mags hit us right where we live, in our wallets. As for MJ, we don't plan to turn her into an ick. Honest! We just depict her as we see her and hope you're getting an accurate portrayal. But no matter how her role in Spidey's life turns out, redheads, still turn us on, lady, especially carrot tops like you. And Stan either just flirted with a college girl or flirted with himself. The problem is that carrot tops are green. I, I imagine that girl to be like, like I imagine her to like resemble Mary Jane. Yes, but they're not saying the top of a carrot. Carrot tops means like the top of you is like the color. I'm just of saying, a having married a redhead, the whole carrot top thing is 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 a source of humor because it's not really a very good nickname. Right, but carrot top, like what what color are carrots? They're orange. You're, you're not saying the the top of a carrot, which is green when you're saying carrot top. You're saying the top. <laughs> really? You're. Yeah, you're saying, about- right, whenever you're talking about your box tops, are you talking about tops that are box-shaped, or are you talking about the tops of boxes? Oh, this is different, and you know it. The top, <laughs> a carrot is orange. Calling the top of somebody's head a carrot is therefore calling the top of their head orange. Just saying, there there is you, room you, for disagreement here. There's room for disagreement, but there's also room for me to disagree with your disagreement. <laughs> we also have uh, Don Posniak. He suggests that Pete date Gwen rather than MJ. And then he catches a big typo that we missed where Spider-Man refers to the lizard as the scorpion by mistake in issue 40, uh, 44. Just fix that for me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah they probably no, fixed it. That's essential. Robert Curley wonders if he's the only sixth grader reading comics since they're always talking about their high school and college readers. John Stillman, who, uh, by the way, his name is spelled correctly, uh, read one of the Lancer paperback collections of Spider-Man that I said were crap, but he really liked it, and he suggested they bind the first 40 issues into a collector's edition set. 40 years later, this happens. And he gets no credit. (laughs) (laughs) The omnibus was my idea! My idea! And then Stan Lee leads him to the Rancor pit. (laughs) Russell Zoller writes a letter about how awesome Marvel is in the Civil Rights Department. Robert Schneider tells us that the notes Spidey uses in issue 45 to heal Dr. Connors were burned up in issue 6. So how did he use them? Wait a second, wait, 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 like, like... When they meant that they were awesome in the Civil Rights Department, did that mean that the Civil Rights Movement read Marvel Comics? Or they thought that the Marvel Comics were... The way Marvel Comics is, is treating various races. Well, Robertson, Robertson hasn't appeared yet, so like, how is there, are there any examples I can go off that? Blackie Drago, you know, like his name's Black. 
That's not exactly positive. <laughs> um, well, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, he killed the vulture. That's kind of cool. <laughs> he says, let's see, you are true Americans. I'm from Mississippi, and there are many prejudiced people down here, but I'd like to tell you uh, now that I'm not one of them. I am not a Mississippian or a rebel or a Southerner, but an American. And I'll fight and die for my belief that a man is a man, no matter his race, color, creed, or whatever they come up with next. You have backed this up to the hilt, and I don't think you've been congratulated enough for it. So that's why I'm thinking you. It's people like you who just might save this crazy, mixed-up world. You and your mags have my thanks and approval for what it's worth. That's very... <laughs> I really feel like I'm character... Why is he writing that to Spider-Man? I don't know. He does mention some other... Sp- I mean, he says, I've been behind Spider-Man all the time. He may have addressed it to Spider-Man. He says, before he finishes, I better stop or I'll have Spidey crying. So there is some Spider-Man stuff in the letter, but it's not really his main point. Well, I don't I, I, have, I don't really know. At this time, in the other titles, have, has, that, has any of that been brought up? I mean, in X-Men or anything? <sighs> I'm trying to think now, because you're right. There's There's not really... Um, <laughs> this is this is this is like a, like a, a letter from the future or something. Yeah, I don't know of anything that they have done that's really that significant in the in the uh, Eagle Rights issue. I can't think of a single non-white character in any of the comics at this point. Black Panther. We'll, we'll get we'll get Robbie in two and like two to three issues. Black Panthers in Fantastic Four. <laughs> Robbie sneaking up behind Ned Leeds and uh, was it Ned and Betty or Ned and Foswell? It, it was. I think it was Ned Ned and Foswell. He's like. It's like I'll call the city editor Robertson. I've I've been here the whole time. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier this week. Like Robbie just like appears behind. There are. I mean, we have seen occasional non-white characters just in the background or, or like on campus or something, but we really haven't. I don't know. I don't know what, what he was talking about. He just said it was cool. Although I think he might be dead now. That's the civil rights movement, you know. Uh, Occasional non-white characters on campus in the background. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, William Toyvanen writes that it really takes intestinal fortitude to do the things that you do with your plots. Which to me sounds like it might be gearing up for some insults, but he goes on to write some rather eloquent praise of the efforts from Marvel. So, good on you, William, if you're listening out there. I Facebook messaged him. (laughs) No, really. (laughs) And aside from ads for stopping baldness, making yourself astronaut tough, and going to art school, that wraps this issue. Next issue. Hey, here's a twist. Due to the unusually dramatic ending of this month's Spidey Spectacular, we feel that any advance information we could give you about next month's ish might lessen the suspense. So here's another mighty Marvel first. For the very first time, we won't tell you a single thing about Spider-Man number 49, except this one earth-shattering thought. If it's humanly possible, buy it. We promise you won't be sorry. Nuff said. A.K.A. Uh, we haven't plotted it yet. (laughs) And B, this is the first time we're telling you absolutely nothing about the issue. Are you kidding? That's every other next issue box. It definitely was before Ramita came on. But yeah, I guess that wraps us up for this episode. Before we go, um, why don't we run down some of the things that we do on the internet for the people out there? Don, you want to go through your list? Well, obviously I don't have to mention this show because you're listening to it. I review the Amazing Spider-Man title currently for the Spider-Man Crawl Space whenever that comes out. I am a co-host on the Batman 
Universe comic cast. You can find it on the BatmanUniverse.net, along with um, Josh and uh, in the uh, as of this recording, you probably will hear John. And I am also a co-host on the uh, soon-to-be-returning Clone Saga Chronicles podcast with Josh and uh, Zach Spidey. So uh, listen to me and read me there. And Josh, your turn. Um, I do a podcast, um, you know, from Orange to Rainbow. It's a Goldfish Crackers podcast where I talk about the evolution of uh, Pepperidge Farms Goldfish uh, Crackers, which uh, they, they used to come in just orange. Now they have the rainbow flavors. Um, I do From Socks to Sandals. It's a footwear podcast about you know, the different types of footwear that people do. And, um, uh, you know, there, there, there's a very good photo blog that goes along with it of different people wearing like different kinds of sandals and different kinds of socks. Um, last month was Crazy Sock Month, you know, where like there was the rainbow socks or the fluorescent socks from iCarly. Um, I also own several five star restaurants, and now I. I'm going to be brief because there's a lot of things that I do that's that are like kind of on hiatus because around 2009, I was like, oh, my God, the Internet's cool and I don't work a lot. So let me do all these things. And then I started working a lot and the Internet wasn't as cool. But I'm a staff member on Spider-Man Crawl Space, you know, where I do a series of posts. I'm currently going through the history. Um, if you miss me ranting about Betty Brandt on here, there's plenty of Betty Brandt uh, hate blogs on Crawl Space. And I'm currently chronicling her relationship with Flash Thompson. By the time this is out, I'll probably be done with that series because I'm almost done. As I'm recording this, I'm on her. I'm on the Peter David Friendly Neighborhood issues, where uh, if you thought that things got rough with Liz and Betty, where do you see who Betty's rival is now? She turns in the spiders and crawls up Betty's legs while she's on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that actually happened. <laughs> I am a staff member on the Batman universe and I'm on some of their like, you know, commentaries and podcasts. I will be moving from the comic cast for, you know, reboot reasons and doing other stuff on the site. But I've been with them since the end of 2008. Uh, they're a motley crew. Clone Saga Chronicles. I'm a staff member on SpideyDude.com, and I help Zach uh, with the Clone Soccer Chronicles podcast, which hopefully by the time you're hearing this, uh, SpideyDude.com has, you know, uh, you know, gotten its facelift, and you should be listening to new episodes of that podcast again. There's other podcasts and other blog stuff, but because they're not coming out regularly, um, I don't feel it's right to pimp them right now. So I'll do it in a future episode if uh, I have something to pimp. All right. And I am becoming increasingly involved with various projects. First, my solo show, Golden Age Superman, is continuing to explore the early adventures of the Man of Steel, though I've had to move from weekly to more like once or twice a month, just because of the sheer amount of content each month in the era I'm covering. Superman was very popular, and trying to research a month's worth every week was killing me. So that's over at goldenagesuperman.libson.com. Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast is still slowly but surely covering the Brian Michael Bendis Ultimate Spider-Man series at teenagewasteland133.libson.com. I am co-hosting The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast with J. David Weeder. It used to be Michael Kaiser. You've heard me mention him before, but he had to back out of podcasting, so David graciously stepped up to the plate, and we were having fun over there. We are covering all adventures of Captain America from the Golden Age, Silver Age, and with the latest episode, The Modern Books as well. So look for that at www.themightyshield.com. And don't forget the V in that 
address. I have recently joined David Weeder and Mike Bailey at Xavier's podcast for Gifted Youngsters, where every other Friday we take a look at an issue of the original series of The X-Men. And, as Don said, I am now the new guy on the Batman Universe comic cast, taking a look at the new 52 Batman books every other week. You can also and knowing catch- Dustin, six of your episodes will be out by the time this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> you can also catch my columns on Superman in the New 52 at simply supermanbatman.wordpress.com and on Batman in the New 52 at thebatmanuniverse.net. All the advertisements out of the way, if you want to write to the show, you can do so by sending an email to AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com, and we will read and respond to your thoughts on the issues or what we've said about them here on the air. If you want to speak to us more informally, come join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash AmazingSpidermanClassics. Like that page and post whatever you like about the show or about Spider-Man. There's also a link to that page on the show's website at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com, where you can download episodes or comment on them another place to do that is at www.spidermancrawlspace.com a friend of the show and excellent site for all things spider-man including writings and ramblings of our two buddies here don and josh and finally you can subscribe to the show through itunes pull down old episodes from there and if that is your preferred method of getting this podcast i invite and request you to leave us a review telling others what you think of our efforts here and with that my name is john wilson tbu Uh, style you got josh (laughs) (laughs) this is done and thank you for listening to amazing spider-man classics in association with spidermancrawlspace.com good night God, this better fucking be important. Okay, you know what? Hold on. Okay. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> I, I had written, and then Adrian Toomes regenerated into Blackie Drago so they could keep the Vulture Who TV series going. So yeah. Chris Johnson posts, which led to the two vultures where they met. Oh, Facebook. I'm yeah. <laughs> two vultures. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da